I had to uh, go check on my daughter, man. All right. She's been having some trouble sleeping. They've been out of school with some snow days. And so if you follow me on Facebook, you might have seen that uh, my wife introduced them to Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. (laughs) And someone died of a rattlesnake bite. So now my daughter is terrified and having nightmares about rattlesnakes. So, yeah, there's that. Thanks, Dr. Quinn. Sounds like when I was younger, my uncle told me that there was an alligator living in his basement. And uh, wow, yeah, <laughs> what an uncle! You are now listening to the RF Generation Playcast. The Playcast is the place where Single Banana and I, Ghost 81 discuss the monthly community playthrough games selected by us and played by a community of gamers on RFGeneration.com and social media platforms like Twitter. Each episode features input from the community and maybe some guests. For episode 46 and our first show of 2018, we've chosen one of our favorite genres with a narrative adventure game, but one where the creators intentionally set out to bend the conventions of the genre. We're talking about Night School Studios' haunting debut title, Oxenfree, released on multiple platforms in 2016. As with all of our discussions, spoilers are on the table, including dissecting this game's multiple endings, so please play the game first if you wish to do so. You can listen to this show on Podbean and iTunes, where we always appreciate a favorable review. On Twitter, we're at RFGPlayCast, Rich is the single banana, and I am Mr. Sean Gray. Most importantly, be sure to log on to RF Generation to discuss the games with us and have a chance to get mentioned on the show. Thanks again for listening. Here is our discussion of Oxenfree.
Okay. Looks like we got a lot of shit on the list. So, what do you want to start with here? Uh, it doesn't matter. The BS may be longer than the uh, Oxenfree talk this month, <laughs> which I think is okay for Good some day. people. It was a short game, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I mean, the first thing on here is New Year's, and this is our first show of 2018, as you mentioned here. Yeah. Now, you added on here New Year's resolutions. Is that because you had some or because I've told you about mine? A little bit of both. I think I have some too, but uh, I mean, these can be gaming or non-gaming resolutions. I think I have a few of both. Do you want me to yeah, start out talking here. about mine? or? Yeah, go ahead. All right. Well, there's a few that I'm kind of keeping on the DL. But as far as like gaming resolutions, I think my biggest one this year is just to play more games and not just play the playthrough and try to finish that every month, but maybe try to have another game going at the same time. You know what I mean? And um, yeah. not so much as to... I have to finish another game each month, but as long as I have one in the background that I'm working on toward finishing... I'm cool with that. So, uh, yeah, play more games is uh, one of my resolutions for 2018. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, so I actually told you about a couple of mine, and I, this gives me a chance, as I usually do, to plug my article on the site. It's not up yet, but it will be by the time our listeners hear this show. I wrote about my New Year's resolutions as it pertains to collecting and playing games. And as far as playing games, I'm taking the opposite route of you. I want to play fewer games. Okay. And the reason for that is, as, as we've discussed on the show before, I really just went on a tear trying to complete as many games as I possibly could in 2017. And as the year was ending and I was kind of looking back on it, I realized that it was one of those things where I didn't see the forest for the trees and I just... I couldn't tell you about a lot of the games that I played just because I went through them so fast and yeah. rushed through too many of them and wasn't left with a lasting impression of too many of them. And, you know, that's fine. I, I'm not regretting anything, but uh, this year I've resolved to play fewer games and take my time with them. So that's one of the things I want to do. And then the other thing, which is <laughs> something that... You and I had discussed off the record because it, it almost affected us and this podcast and everything. And that is that, well, actually, I should give a little bit of background. In addition to playing so many games in 2017, I spent so much money on video games. And that's another thing I've touched on it on the show. If you listen yeah. to us, I spent so much money on games in 2017 and I I don't really track my purchases, but I did tally up all the money I spent. You did. You went all accounted on me. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing. The thing I showed you was just Amazon, and that totaled up to over $2,000. Yeah. Now, that doesn't include anything that I spent on eBay. And you'll remember I bought things like Valkyrie Profile at yeah. the going price. And it didn't count the PlayStation 4. It didn't count buying Magic Knight Ray Earth from Steven. Like, mm. that was only Amazon, $2,000. Not PayPal, GameStop, eBay, all of that stuff. I mean, I got to estimate probably closer to 5000 must be the total. You think so? That might be a little bit of a liberal guess, but okay. and maybe I'm just trying to beat myself up a little bit. So I kind of stick with something here and to kind of cut to the chase, <laughs> my very drastic reaction to making this realization is that 
I've challenged myself to not spend any of my income on video games in the calendar year 2018. Okay. So you'll see, or unless you edited my article already, you might have seen it because nope, I did yet. submit it. Um, but, you know, I, I did set up some ground rules like if all else fails and we choose a playthrough game that I don't own, I'll just buy it. Like I'm okay. not going to jeopardize our podcast and the thing we have going here for some stupid challenge for myself. Yeah. You made me a little nervous. No, yeah. But also it's... <laughs> You know, I'd like to be able to trade some games or sell some of my games. And I actually traded in enough games into GameStop that I have enough credit and I got some gift cards over Christmas to purchase a Nintendo Switch if I wanted to. Like, I could buy one tomorrow without putting out any money. So I think it's going to be fun. And I'll definitely check in here and on the blog, like from time to time, and let you all know how I'm doing. But that's. That's my gaming resolutions. And as far as life resolutions, just things that tie into that, like financial and savings goals. But also I want to keep reading. Uh, my friend Corey and I set ourselves a goal. Each of us wants to read 30 books this year, which oh, okay, I think that's doable, you know? Yeah. A little over two a month. Yeah. Yeah. So I might unintentionally avoid some super long books, but I don't typically read those anyway but you do right i yeah <laughs> happen to know that you just finished uh, quite a hefty tome that is one of my favorite <laughs> books i did and we've talked about it on the show several times but uh before i go into that i do want to mention that uh in contrast to your new year's resolution i just bought a new bookshelf for my game room so there nice. you go <laughs> <laughs> But in all honesty, I, I've gone through my collection, and a lot of my collections are basically maybe just a handful of games away from where I want them to be, you know, the collections that I'm not completing. And so, you know, the only collection I have on the horizon that completes my Sega Master System, and our site does goals as well, you know, for 2018. And I've got a few of those games on there, and one thing I have on there is to get at least five of the games that I want for my Sega Master System out of the 15, and I think that's a very reasonable goal for uh, 2018. But uh, yeah, you're mentioning that uh, I've been reading a lot. We mentioned the Murakami book 1Q84 quite a few times on the show, and a few years ago, we started sort of a book club, you, myself, and Jamie, who used to be on our podcast. Yeah. And you guys started reading it. I started reading it, got a few hundred pages into it, and all of a sudden, it just fell off. As I mentioned to you in private, the big reason was because the book is so heavy. It's over 1,200 pages long. And in Japan, this book was released in three different volumes, but in the U.S., when it was originally released, it was only released in one volume. And so... For me, I'm, I'm holding this book, and one side is like five pounds, and the other side is like a few ounces. So for me, it was really hard. I know that sounds crazy, but just physically hard to deal with and, and distracting for me as I was trying to read, so I never finished the book. But recently, before Christmas, I picked up the three-volume set that they brought to the U.S. finally, and um, I read all three books since our last podcast and right after Christmas, so... Uh, I finished 1Q84, and uh, you're right, fantastic book. I'm really happy about the time I spent with it, totally worth it. Some of it got a little slow toward the third book, but it was one of those books that you just couldn't put down and you just had to push through, you know what I mean? Yeah, so now, I mean, are there any uh, Murakami novels left for you that you haven't read yet? 
There are. His two first, Wind and Pinball. Uh, my wife had gotten me a copy of that because it's like a combination. And mm-hmm. um, she actually got it in large print for, <laughs> for some reason. And that okay, bothers me, too. To tell you something, old man. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, Again, it's one of those things that's just really bothering me. So I'm going to have to go out and buy a book that has normal size print because it's aesthetically like bothers me so much I can't concentrate. Is that weird? No, that <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> no, I tend to find there's definitely something to be said for the way books are printed. I find when I read something that's older, like I'm, I'm actually going to talk about a book I read that was printed in the 60s. And I wasn't going to mention this as part of my conversation, but... It was printed in the 60s. The font's a little different than what you're used to. And oh, it's yes. very small spaced and scrunched together. And that can be a challenge. I'm reading one right now myself the same way. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I get that. Especially, I mean, reading a large print book, I don't know how that would affect me. But I, I definitely can't blame you for not being comfortable with that. So, Sean, what you reading? <laughs> so... <laughs> I've been reading a lot of stuff. Uh, I mean, obviously, I've been just riding this wave of constantly, just always be reading something, just constantly be reading and then just go on to the next thing. But one thing that I read kind of sent me off on this rabbit hole that I never thought I would be in. And Rich, have you ever been in this situation where just some weird topic just piques your interest and you get totally obsessed with it for a while? Oh, yeah. We called it a wormhole. Yeah. yeah, no, to get down to it, I read All Quiet on the Western Front, which okay. is, you know, a classic World War One novel. And I'm a big fan of kind of anti-war novels. I read mm-hmm. Johnny Got His Gun when I was in high school and it really had a big impact on me. But reading All Quiet on the Western Front, it's a phenomenal book, an amazingly sad and just tragic account of trench warfare and being a, a German soldier in World War One. Almost independently of that, I had been wanting to listen to uh, Hardcore History with Dan Carlin, which is a pretty amazing podcast. And he has a six-episode series on World War One, and those episodes are three and four hours long each, so we're talking 15, 20 hours of content here. Oh, are those the ones that like he does each week of the war, and it, he releases like one every week or something like that? It's funny you mention that. That's something else, I think, and I'll tell you about that in a second. But okay. um highly recommend Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. And I've only listened to, he does all kinds of topics. Like, it's this just happens to be what I started with because I'm in this World War One thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a YouTube channel called The Great War, and they're still running right now. They're doing in real time, week by week, because... You know, World War One was a hundred years ago. It went from 1914 to 1918. So they're actually going week week by week. That's it. Yeah. On YouTube with the events of the war, and I've been binging that. Actually, trying to catch up to get to the point where they're you know in January or February, so I can watch it in real time as it comes out. Hopefully, I'll be <laughs> done with that. You know, or caught up before they get to the armistice, which is in yeah. November. So. But anyway, I I just am now obsessed with World War One, and it's fascinating to me. And it's something that you know, when we were in high school, we learned about World War Two, and I think 
I didn't know anything about World War One except for, you know, Franz Ferdinand got assassinated, like literally. <laughs> I, the sinking of the Lusitania. <laughs> right, right. And just, just crazy. Yeah. You can't understand World War Two without understanding World War One. And I sure. know I know that now. Like if there ever was like a sequel, like World War Two is such a direct response and follow up to what happened in World War One. It's it's incredible. It's it was almost inevitable. Like so so fascinating, and especially uh, Dan Carlin in the first episode of Hardcore History of this series, he says uh, Gavrilo Princip, who's the assassin who mm-hmm. assassinated Franz Ferdinand. He makes this fascinating case that like Gavrilo Princip is the, like the most important historical figure of the 20th century because of the events that he set in motion by doing what he did. It's just it's mind blowing when you start thinking about it and connecting all these dots. It's just <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm just so into it and uh I'm just going to keep riding this out and just enjoying it. You know, it's not enjoyable in a sense that it's just It was a devastating conflict. And, you know, as most people probably know, it was considered like a stalemate war or like Mm -hmm. a war of attrition on both sides. And just the word meat grinder is used constantly to describe these battles. And it's just, you know, it's crazy. And it makes you grateful. And it's one of the things that I even brought this up for is that it really makes you grateful that, you know, as a young man that you weren't like i i'm just grateful that i wasn't born in europe at the turn of the century you know what i mean yeah i'm just happy to be where i am now and just grateful for the comforts that i have because you know i've read a lot about like north korean prison camps as well like i was obsessed with north korea for a while and learning about trench warfare it's not very different from living in a north korean prison camp like the conditions and the sicknesses and these soldiers are just like the prisoners only they were getting shot at you know so human misery and human tragedy like has a way of making me feel grateful for what i have and what my wife and i have in our household and in our lifestyle so i didn't mean to go like super heavy with that but it's kind of why i'm interested in these kind of things i guess Uh, Well, speaking of misery and being grateful for what you have, I've started a new book. You can probably maybe guess what that is after reading 1Q84. I'm reading Orwell's 1984. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm probably about halfway through that right now. I've actually never finished this book. When I was a senior in high school, one of the summer reading books that we had to read was Brave New World by Algis Huxley. And those two books, a lot of times, are often spoken about in the same sentence. You know, when people talk about, um, you know, I, I don't want to say post-apocalyptic, because that's not the word I'm looking for. Yeah, but uh, Dystopian? Uh, dystopian universe type books. I had picked it up before, right after I had read Brave New World. I loved Brave New World and just really didn't get into it. And I think, again... I actually have the same book that I had when I was in high school. I think it's the print type. It's like all on top of each other. And it's yeah. like, it's the same thing you were talking about. You know, how the print's just so jumbled together and so tight that it takes a long time to flip pages. And um, it's a little frustrating, but I'm enjoying it so much that it's not bothering me a lot. That's cool. Yeah. So I'll probably be reporting on that next, and I'll, I think I'm going to read Brave New World again after I'm done with this, just to uh, just to refresh myself, you know, and have that same context. 
And then maybe move on to like the Handmaiden's Tale. Maybe um, what's the Ray Bradbury Fahrenheit 451? Is that oh, right? Oh, yeah. You're yeah. going through all the dystopian classics. You got to read <laughs> Clockwork Orange and. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I tried that one time. Uh, what's that? Is that Richard Burgess? Is that right? Um, uh, Anthony Burgess? A- Anthony Burgess, not Richard. Yeah. You're right. That's a tough read. That's like trying to read Train Spotting. The language in it's a little tough to uh, navigate there. Yeah. But. Uh, but yeah, I, I may do that. I do have a copy of that book as well. It's funny. I, I actually read Brave New World a couple of years ago when I was on a real hot streak with reading. And a lot of times when I get on these reading hot streaks, I try to pick out things that I've missed over the years. And like I never read Brave New World in high school, so I wanted to read through it. And the way that book is written is just so linguistically like... I don't want to say poetic, but it's not written in a way that you would speak. Mm, yeah. I, I don't want to say like nowadays even, but it's just it's just written in this weirdly elegant, poetic type of way. And I had a really hard time with it as like, you know, I was in my late 20s, early 30s when I read it. And like I was thinking, wow, they make kids read this in high school. Like I'm having yeah. a hard time, like just wrapping my head around it. But 1984... I have been wanting to reread that because I read that in high school and it wasn't assigned to me. It was actually like 1984 and Clockwork Orange, like all the cool kids were just reading those on their sure. own. Like they weren't, <laughs> they weren't yeah. assigned to us. So I've been wanting to go back and reread that. But uh, Be careful. Like I said, the words are kind of like thick and jumbled. And so going from line to line can be difficult to navigate. And the, the language is a little archaic and sort of terse. I don't think Orwell was like the best writer. I like what yeah. he's doing with the book and he's a brilliant person, but um, his writing style's not the best. And I guess when you're coming from Murakami, who I think is a genius and, and going to Orwell, maybe that's the problem I'm having with it, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, cool. Well, I've got on the outline here, I wanted to talk a little bit about concerts for 2018. I'm uh, loading up on some concert tickets right, <laughs> right now. It's getting out of hand. But my wife and I, we've always loved live music. And I think us attending that Kishibashi concert together was this moment where like, we kind of looked at each other and we're like, we love this. And we had such a great time and we talked about it for weeks. And we just kind of decided we're going to go to more shows and get out and do more things together, you know, and just get a babysitter. Because with three kids, it's it's tough, you know. I mean, going to a movie is going to cost us like 100 bucks, you know. But going to a concert, yeah, it's going to be up there as far as costing us money overall. But at the same time, a concert to me, and probably to you as well, you know, it's just more of a, um, a personal experience. I guess more kind of an uplifting experience, at least for me. Oh, yeah, I agree completely. I, I've been looking around because I haven't been to a show in a while. I do have tickets to see. They might be giants in two weeks, but that's oh, really... Oh, jealous, man. Yeah, I'm psyched about it, but that's <laughs> um, that's the only thing on my schedule. Uh, so I got to start looking around. I think with the winter, too, the, a lot of the stuff around here is outdoors, uh, yeah. so can be challenging. But what are you all setting up to see? Uh, well, Tuesday, we're going to see Nico Case. She's playing locally in town. I don't know if you're familiar with Nico Case or not. Not at all. What kind of music is it? I would say like Americana. Uh, have you ever listened to New Pornographers? Heard of them, but not okay. familiar. I think it's something you would really dig. It's like a super group, and Nico Case is one of the members of them. And we saw New Pornographers several years ago, close by. 
If you get a chance, check out the album The Challengers. That's a really okay. great album. It's one of my favorites and kind of how I got introduced to them. But Nico Case is just really like, I don't want to call it country music because it's not country, but it's like Americana, but it's really like tough and rugged. If you've ever listened to like Lucinda Williams, maybe, or um, Gillian Welch, uh, Dave Rollins' Machine. If you've ever listened to any of those female singers, it's just real gritty and tough. And uh, I, I just really identify with the music. It's really cool stuff. But uh, yeah, so we're going to see her on Tuesday night. And then we got tickets in March to go see the English Beat. Familiar with that band? No, again, something I've heard of, but I'm not, I don't know the music. They're sort of like a reggae kind of ska band from the uh, 80s. Sort of like The Clash in a way, but a little more funky. Uh, you know, The Clash has a lot of, you know, kind of reggae background in their music. Uh, I would say the English beat has more of like a horn section and stuff like that, like saxophone, trumpet, and stuff like that. And it's just going to be a really cool, really fun show. I got to say, I've gone to several shows like Hall & Oates. We've seen Tears for Fears. And these guys from the 80s, all the shows that I've ever seen, I've never been disappointed. I mean, they're just... Like, really awesome and on point. Tears for Fears was probably one of the best shows I've ever been to. And I've seen a lot of stuff. So, yeah. So, March, we're seeing the English Beat. I had to buy tickets, like, in November or October. But I put some tickets in my wife's stocking this year. I got her three tickets to go see the Pixies and Weezer. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had already got uh, one of my girlfriends from college. She's living in Charlotte now. She's great friends, my wife and I. And gotten in touch with her, and I was like, you want to go? And she's like, yeah, let's go. I was like, well, I'm going to surprise my wife with tickets for Christmas, put them in her stocking. I was like, yep, um, got tickets for you and for you know this other person. I was like, and the third ticket's for you. You can give it to whoever you want. She's like, well, don't you want to go? I was like, yeah, I do, but it's your ticket. You can give it to whoever you want. So she's decided to give it to me. <laughs> so nice. I just, I didn't want it to be a selfish Christmas present. You know, I want it to be like, they're your tickets. You do what you want with them. But uh, yeah. Uh, so as long as I don't piss her off uh, before the show, I'm going <laughs> to see Pixies and Weezer. These are two bands that I've seen before. I saw the Pixies a few years ago on the Doolittle tour. And I actually saw Weezer back in college on the Pinkerton tour. That was before they split up that one time. Uh, so that was uh, a really awesome show back in the day. So, or both shows were awesome, but. And then this Friday, I told you I might be getting another set of tickets, and uh, I actually bought tickets to see David Byrne, so uh, I'm really pumped about that. For those who don't know who David Byrne is, uh, he's the lead singer of Talking Heads, uh, mm -hmm. which is one of my top five bands of all time. I know I'm never going to see Talking Heads, because those guys are never going to get together. Byrne's quite the egomaniac, but it's worth it to me. You know, I, I love his music, so I, I can't say no. Yeah, do you like um, David Byrne's solo albums? Yeah, I do. Yeah, they're the good. One, uh, there's one I like a lot. Is it called Look Into the Eyeball, I think? <sighs> I can't remember. I, I've heard a few like sporadically and yeah. you know, kind of songs that people put on like mix CDs for me. But uh, yeah, I couldn't name a single album of his. Yeah, I know he has one that I got really into at one point. But he also did that... Um, he did an album and there was like a concert movie that he did with St. Vincent and that was pretty amazing. I don't know if you listen to St. Vincent, you would like her, I think. I've heard the name, but I haven't haven't really listened to her stuff before, but I heard that they did do something together. Like I said, I think the guy's probably a jerk, but <laughs> he's brilliant. It's, it's like Morrissey. If Morrissey came by, I would go see Morrissey, you know? Yeah. 
I knew he would be canceling the show. I would be going to see, but I would still buy tickets as soon as I could uh, because I love the Smiths. But uh, it's just one of those things. Brilliant, great mind, great lyricist, great musician, but they don't play well with others sometimes, you know? And uh, yeah, I used to have that with um, the band Oasis when I was in high school. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Some of my friends worshiped Oasis and I just hated them. And I, it was just like, oh, because they're jerks. They're jerks to each other and they're, yeah. they're assholes to their fans. And it's like, now that I'm so much older and <laughs> don't care about that kind of stuff, I realize their albums are amazing. They're an incredible band. So. They are. They did make the comment one time that they were better than the Beatles. I think yeah. that's what like sunk them. Yeah. <laughs> what a bunch of idiots. But I mean, their music is good. You're right. Well, that's funny. I've read too the... Um, the singer from Echo and the Bunnymen. I don't know if you remember them, but... Uh, oh, I love Echo and the Bunnymen. Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, so Ian McAuliffe, the singer from that group, I read an interview with him that was so hysterical. It's got to be self-deprecating humor with like a grain of <laughs> truth to it. He would say like, they'd ask him some question and he would say, well, you know, I wrote The Killing Moon and that's the greatest song ever written. So what does it matter? <laughs> but then like they'd ask him a different question and then he would say, well, I wrote Bring on the Dancing Horses and that's the greatest song ever written. So what does it matter? <laughs> it was just the funniest damn thing I ever read. And it just made me like him even more, you know? Yeah, just, just being a damn genius, you know? I mean, just being annoyed with people that do interviews and ask stupid questions. Like, yeah, I can understand that. Just totally give people props for that. It's funny to me, you know, when, when people act that way. And they're probably pretty all right people in real life. They just get tired of being bothered about stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, I'd imagine. So, one more thing I got tickets to. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, after I purchased David Bird tickets... I purchased six sets, which is 12 tickets, for friends and us to our local indoor football league season tickets. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, we just got a new indoor football league in town, and um, season tickets were two tickets for 99 bucks. No service fees. Flat, $99. That's eight games plus an extra game if they make the playoffs. So we got season tickets for like less than like six bucks a ticket. And so it's just us and a bunch of friends. Like we're all sitting together, you know, in two different rows stacked on top of each other. Like you with your minor league baseball, just something fun to do. So what is it like minor league indoor football? Is that what you're Yeah, saying? there's no out of bounds. There's just walls. And so they can hit each other up against the walls. The field is only 50 yards Okay. And the field goal posts are really tiny and they have a net behind them. So when they try to kick a field goal, if they miss it and it comes off the net, they can play it off and try to run it back. A lot less players on the field at a time. The line is only like three people, a center, two guards, a quarterback, and I think like two receivers and one running back. Or they can use them as a third receiver. So, yeah, it's like fast paced. They play like loud, blaring rock and roll music. People go just to have a good time. It's a lot of fun. We used to have a team... Uh, in Charlotte when I was in high school and me and buddies used to just go there and, uh, you know, drink beer underage and uh, watch football. So it was a lot of fun. That sounds awesome. Well, we did have one music related question on Twitter. I couldn't find the tweet, but I remember it. It was from our friend Chris, better known as Duke Togo, better known as at CollectorCast on Twitter. Better known as Dark Souls the Human. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, and he asked... How do you clean your vinyl records? 
Yeah, that's an interesting question. And I've never done any sort of deep cleaning on records, like using like water or any type of chemicals or anything like that. Mainly, I have, I think what's a normal thing to clean records with, and it's like a black crushed velvet, like sort of brush that I can run around the records. And mainly when you're cleaning records, you're not trying to get gunk off of them because it's very rare that you get a record with gunk on it, which you could. You know, it's mainly just dust that builds up. And when that dust builds up, as your record's spinning, your needle's picking it up. And there's just, there's usually like a, a big, like, kind of hairball on your needle that keeps it from playing. And you can just kind of pick it off and play your records again. But typically, before I put them on my turntable, if I haven't listened to them in a while, I'll take that velvet brush and just go around it in a circle and, uh, you know, kind of get the dust off of them. That's really how I clean my records. Um, and uh, Duke, if you need more clarification, if you got some gunk or something on your records, just uh, you know, let me know. I would say try not to use anything too abrasive. Something like water would probably do well. I don't think alcohol would hurt it because it wouldn't melt any of the plastic. So I would say, you know, if you got a tougher kind of stain to do it that way, but just don't use anything abrasive to clean it. Use a soft cloth and try to sort of go around it in a circle so that you're not being abrasive and, and going sort of against the grooves. Very nice. Yeah, I don't collect records anymore. I, I used to have a little bit of a collection, but I gave them away and I don't remember what I did with my turntable, but maybe someday I'll get into that again. I actually have one more question for you. <laughs> I see it on the outline here and yeah. I think I know what it's about. But. So you posted uh, something yesterday and I just want to know if it was a joke or if you were sincere when you professed your adoration for the song easy lover by phil collins because i'm gonna tell you right up front i love that song i think i love it too big fan (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean i I think there's songs out there you know that people would say are like guilty pleasures i don't have guilty pleasures when it comes to music i agree Uh, there's just some songs are just like really fun and easy lovers like one of those songs and I'm not a huge, huge Phil Collins fan. I do like some of this stuff. I don't like Susudia. Not a big fan of that, although it can be kind of catchy and I won't turn it off if it's on. Yeah. But yeah, man, I love some Phil Collins. Very cool. Yeah, Easy Lover is is such a great song. I was actually listening to it a couple of hours ago before we came on the air. and <laughs> It's just such a good, like, funky pop rock song and the drums are very punchy and... Uh, yeah. Uh, just what a good song. It was used to great effect in an old um, Grand Theft Auto Vice City trailer. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, okay. That was a really good trailer that had that song in it. <laughs> That's great because, like, it, it has nothing to do with, like, violence, but, like, when they set pieces to violence like that, it's kind of great. It somehow oddly fits. Yeah. Um, That's great, man.
Do you want to move on to our, our news section? Absolutely. Let's do some news. Well, the first news item, I'll let you take it because it was something that you told me about it and I had to kind of look up what it was and you seemed really excited about it. So tell us about Nintendo Labo. Yeah, Nintendo Labo. This is a new thing that's coming out by Nintendo. They've already started pre-selling the stuff. It's basically cardboard that can be kind of constructed and folded and made into different apparatuses that you can use with your Nintendo Switch. There's like a book bag that has like a punching mechanism that you can punch in some games. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? There, there's it's several like a fishing one where you make yeah, a fishing, fishing rod. rod out of it. There's like a house. It's really neat. It's it's really creative. And I don't know, man, when I watched that video for the first time, I sat there and said, is this real or is this just like a mockumentary type thing? Like someone's <laughs> just making fun of Nintendo. I really felt that way. It's like, is this real? Is this technology? Does this even exist? Right, right. But yeah, I mean, it's really, really cool, and uh, it's so Nintendo, is it not? Oh, yeah. It's marketed for kids, and that's what Nintendo has always been. Nintendo, the family computer, the Famicom. It's brilliant. And they have made years and years out of being different and doing something that's off the grid, whereas, you know, Sony and uh, Microsoft have always gone, you know, sort of for the jugular with adult gamers Nintendo's always marketed toward kind of a mixed audience, you know, people that still love them, people that still have that nostalgia for Nintendo, and then, of course, kids. And um, it's a market that's tapped into that That I've, I've spoken to other parents. Um, uh, actually, the woman I work for, her kids are obsessed. They got a Switch for Christmas. They're playing Zelda Breath of the Wild with their dad and just having such a great time. And I played this video for her, and she's like, oh, my God, what's that going to cost me? She's like, I know my kids are going to be so obsessed with it. They're into Minecraft. They're into building things on their own. And this is just like cardboard Lego for kids, right? They put it together and then they can like use it to play video games. It's brilliant, man. I think it's going to be a huge success. And uh, before we looked at the price point, she said, I bet it's $69.99 or $79.99. She was exactly right. She knew exactly what the price point was. She's like, that's what the controllers cost. That's what, you know, everything they sell is at that price point. She's like, it's a price point that's not so expensive that I'm not going to buy it, but not too expensive that I wouldn't even consider it. She's like, they've just got their claws in me. (laughs) So, (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty cool. And my... My impression of that is when I saw it, I thought if I was that age, I would want this so badly. It really reminded me of, I don't know if you remember these, but the, um, the dinosaur skeletons that you could make that came in that really thick cardboard and you would punch them out and put the dinosaur skeletons together. You remember that? Yeah. They came in like a thin wood as well. Yeah. 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 That, that kind of reminded me of that, like just punching out those pieces and putting them together to make something. Now, I don't have kids, Rich, you do, so we have different perspectives on it, but I got to imagine, like, for kids to actually have a tactile experience where you're actually following directions and taking something apart and then putting it together, that's really valuable, and it's something that maybe we don't see so much of nowadays because of cell phones and video games and everything else. Uh, You know, the attention spans are a little bit lower than... Maybe they were when we were younger, and yeah. I don't mean to sound like a, you know, a crotchety old man. Like back in my day, we played outside <laughs> and all that stuff. But I mean, I really applaud Nintendo for thinking outside of the box, pun intended. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. 
with having this like kind of manual tactile experience for kids to use their hands and put things together in that way. It's really cool. You know, when we were growing up, Legos were huge. They're still huge. True, true. Do you remember uh, like robotics where you would put together those like kind of moving, like kind of dinosaur mechanical things that had like battery packs and stuff like that? But yeah, those were cool as well. Things that we used to, you know, play with. But I mean, it's not like the old man philosophy that you're talking about. I think that we do live in a world where every day we're losing more and more tactile things. I mean, look at like books. I mean, people are getting those on, you know, reading devices now, like nooks and and things like that. People are not getting books as much anymore. I took my kids to see Star Wars during uh, the MLK holiday. And I told my daughter, I said, honey, I said, I hope you enjoyed this. I said, I feel like at some point there's going to be a day when you won't be going to the movie theater anymore. She's like, yeah, why do we come here? She's like, <laughs> why can't we just download it on our TV at home? I said, it's the social experience. It's being around other people. It's laughing at the same things. It's being scared of the same things at the same time. And being a part of that microcosm of a community that's so special. And at some point you're going to lose that. And and it's the same thing with, like I said, with books. It's beginning to be that way with video games. And for Nintendo to come out with something like this... You know, it kind of goes against the flow of what's going on right now. But people are super excited about it. They think it's the coolest thing ever. And, uh, you know, good for Nintendo for going against the grain and, you know, kind of showing us that, hey, there is still a world of people out there to appreciate, you know, using their hands and appreciate interacting with something and, you know, not just pushing a button to download it and, you know, just sitting there and kind of vegging out. I think it's really cool. Obviously, it's not something I'm going to buy. I don't have a Switch. I wouldn't be interested in it personally. It's not how I enjoy playing games, but if my kids ended up wanting to switch and they wanted this stuff, I would buy it for them because it's really cool. And I think it's uh, just kind of a neat hands-on experience that they would you know, really enjoy. Awesome. I agree. Very cool. Well, moving on, you, you have a few pieces of uh, site news yeah. you want to share? Yeah, this next one's a real sore spot for me. Oh, uh-oh. What happened? (laughs) December's competition winner for Punch-Out is none other than Bickman 2K. Oh, nice, Adam. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks, Adam. Thanks for (laughs) taking this awesome boxing glove off my wall. Um, I gave him a run for his money, though, but the dude was just killing speed times. I will say, though, I was the only person in the competition to beat Tyson. I I won by decision, but I still beat him. But, yeah, I was the only one to mark that off the list, so I got that to hang my hat on. But, um, man, that dude put together some hellacious times. So, Honestly, Adam and I are good friends. He's a great guy. And congrats, man. I'm going to be sending that boxing glove your way really soon. Might take a few more pictures of it on my wall first. But uh, yeah, it's coming your way, buddy. That was a really fun time. I always enjoy December competitions. And, uh, you know, this year's no different. Looking forward to next December. And if anybody has any ideas what they might like to do, send them our way. We're open ears. I'll just go ahead and take the next one RF Generation 2018 Fun Drive is going to start very first of February and run till February 28th. As most people know, RF Generation is a free site that anyone can join and you can use our database to house your collection. You don't have to carry a spreadsheet around anymore. We have a phone app that you can use for free and uh, our site has no ads. It's totally run by our donors and our members of our site. It's a great time every year and a good time to show your support. So if you're out there, you're listening use RF Generation, or even if you don't, if you like our show, that's basically where we're housed. So without them, we wouldn't have a place to call home. 
So uh, if you enjoy this show, please donate to the site. There's a donate button on the front page. We'll be taking donations from February 1st to February 28th, or you can make a donation now if you'd like to. Typically, every year we have a prize drawing. So if you donate at least $10, your name will go into the prize drawing. Every $10 you donate, you get an extra ticket. And we actually have a SNES Mini that we're going to be drawing away. One of our site members uh, has graciously donated that and, uh, you know, some other great prizes. So, uh, yeah, check out the site. Uh, I'll be posting something to kick that off on January 30th or 31st. And I'll be showing, like, the different prizes that people can win for donating. That is awesome. I don't have anything to add to that, but that, that was a good uh, That's all announcement. Right. <laughs> That'd be a good place for some music. Maybe a little digital version version of Easy Lover oh, right there. Yeah, there you go. There's got to be a chip <laughs> into that. So we could probably just move into some pickups then. Rich, I'm going to tell you straight up, I don't have any because of my goals here, my, my right. news resolutions, but I don't want that to be the way that it is. You know, I like, I still like getting stuff, you know, but... <laughs> For now, for now, I don't have anything. We should do a, hey, Sean, what would you have picked up? (laughs) Well, there's things I want, you know, there's a video game out there called Battlefield 1, which is is Uh, a Battlefield game set in World War 1. And I actually found out that the guys who do that YouTube channel, The Great War, that I was saying was week to week, they consulted on that game and they're, oh, they have wow. a whole bunch of videos on their channel about the historical accuracy of the game. And it turns out that it's pretty legit. Now I really want to play that game. So I got to kind of finagle a way to acquire that game. <laughs> you get to sell some stuff. Yeah. So we'll see. Like I said, I won't be pick up less forever. But for this episode, I've just got to kick it to you. Uh, what did you pick up? Well, I do have quite a bit of things that I picked up. It was Christmas after all. I did participate in the RF Generation Secret Santa, plus uh, got several gifts for my family for Christmas, which I'll talk about in a little while because I like to save some of the good stuff for last. One thing I did pick up was Limited Run Games did a release of Windjammers for PS4, and I actually picked up two copies of that because my buddy Cameron, who's been on the show before, great friend of mine, um, loves Windjammers as well. We both have played it on the Neo Geo Cab, and just such a great game, a lot of fun. My buddy Cameron picked up a large lot of games. Amongst those was Breath of Fire 4. That was an RPG that I didn't have for the PS1. And so I worked out a deal with him and, uh, you know, trade the Windjammers that I got him for that game. Plus, you know, he's going to throw a little cash my way. That's cool. Breath of Fire 4, a game I've never played, but tell me that doesn't have the most beautiful cover art of a North American PlayStation game <laughs> like that you've ever seen. It's so nice looking. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. I've played Breath of Fire 1. That's the only one that I've played. I didn't finish it, and that's been many, many years ago, but it's a game series that I do enjoy and I do collect. I don't think I'm going to go past PS1 era for Breath of Fire stuff, but uh, we'll see. Mm. I did pick up several PS4 games. I posted these on Instagram and Twitter. I grabbed Dead by Daylight, and this is basically like the Friday the 13th game, except it has different characters in it, and I think you can download skins and play as Michael Myers and Freddy. So that's pretty cool, and you can download a board called Hattonfield to play as Michael Myers. So 
you know, awesome. who doesn't want to play as their favorite slasher? So I had to pick that up. That was through Gamefly, and I got that for like 15 bucks or less. I think it might have been $12.99. They were running a sale, free shipping. also picked up a copy of Hidden Agenda. That's something that I think my wife and I would really enjoy playing. It's a murder mystery game where you basically use your cell phones to make different choices. So it's kind of hooked in and integrated that way. It's by the same people that did Until Dawn. I thought it was a good game that we could play through together, and she's really excited about doing that. So, uh, yeah, that will probably be one of the games that I play fairly soon, and you'll be hearing more about in uh, What Are You Playing? I also picked up, you may have to help me pronounce this, is it Scene Mora EX? Is that correct? Or is it Sign? S-I-N-E? I don't know, and I don't... <laughs> I've never heard anyone <laughs> pronounce it, so I'm just going to sound like a goober, but that's all right. I don't care. Uh, but I picked that up for PS4, and that's uh, that's a shmup. I love me shmups, so you know yeah. I had to grab it. And uh, again, all three of these games I picked up for $15 or less. Another game that has eluded me for a while, and I missed grabbing one time at uh, RWX, was a game called Plock for the SNES. Little platformer. Grabbed a copy of that for less than 20 bucks off of eBay. Really fun game. The other day I picked up a lot, which included Super Paper Mario, Fortified Zone for Game Boy, Mercenary Force for Game Boy, and Adventure Island 2 for Game Boy. I picked all those games up for $2 each, which was incredible. Most of those I already have, but Adventure Island 2 I didn't have. So the other ones, you know, I'm going to either trade or sell or just give to friends who might want them. One's uh, going to my buddy Cameron in his copy of Windjammers. I mentioned before, I participated in the RF Generation Secret Santa. It's a really fun thing we do every December. And if you're a site member, I would highly encourage you to do it with us each December. Bill from Collector Cast, he actually does it each year where he passes out the names. We do Secret Santa. And this year, my Secret Santa did an awesome job. I have a little wish list. Well, I wouldn't call it little. There's probably a few hundred games on it <laughs> on our generation. Uh, so even though I have a huge collection, there's some you know stuff for people to look through and select from. My Secret Santa was very generous this year. I got a copy of Mario Party 5. It's in the box. It's really beat up. It's a nice disc. There's no manual. But there's a little note inside of it that said something to the effect of, please be kind to me. I've had a rough life. So <laughs> that was the that was the last GameCube Mario Party that I needed. And I've kind of stopped collecting Mario Party games up to that point. I'm not sure if I want to go for the ones on the Wii or not. I think I'll maybe check out some reviews and see if those are any good before I buy them. I got a copy of Brain Lord for the Super Nintendo. Again, another RPG that I've been looking for for quite a long time. I got a copy of Super Scribble Knots for the DS and a copy of Nano Stray 2, a really neat shump on the DS. I had the original Nano Stray, and uh, this is going to kind of top off that collection for my DS. Christmas rolled around, and uh, my wife begrudgingly gets games for me. I think she's really happy that I have a PS4 now because it's easier to shop for games and she doesn't have to go on eBay as much. She picked me up a copy of Raiden 5 for the PS4. She also got me a copy of Retro Game Challenge for the DS and I got Limited Run's Wonder Boy the Dragon's Trap for PS4. That was one that I missed out on when they released it. I didn't really have any interest in it, but I watched some videos and man, that game looks cool. Have you seen that game? 
I have it, but I haven't even looked into it too much. You yeah. Know, I bought it just because it was a limited run and I was blowing money on everything at the time. So <laughs> I'm not super familiar with the game, to be honest. But for people who don't know, it's being re-released by some other publisher on yeah. the Switch. And I believe there was another PS4 printing from another publisher as well. So it's out there. Yeah, it is. What's neat about it is they actually did the original version that was on the Sega Master System, or you can play the updated version, but from what I've heard from people, the updated version, most of the comments have been like, this is a killer update. If someone's going to update and redo a game, this is the way it should be done. That's Um, cool. I've heard nothing but wonderful things about it, and so for that reason... I put it on my Amazon wish list, hoping that my wife might get it for me for Christmas. Um, And then one of my big Christmas gifts from my parents. I wasn't expecting this. And sometimes I shoot myself in the foot by doing this. But a lot of times, like, with my Amazon wish list, I'll put something on there that I've, like, just want to put it on there because... I can remember that it's something like that if I find it down the road cheap enough that I'd like to get it. It's not something that's high on my priority list and not something that I quote unquote need as if I need any of this stuff. But um, I put a Samus 3DS on my list. When I sat down for Christmas, my parents were like, this is the only thing we got you for Christmas. I hope that's okay that we only got you one thing. And I'm like, I have no idea what this could be, you know, in this kind of small rectangular box. And I opened it up and it was a Samus 3DS. And man, I was just overjoyed to have this. It's awesome. That's really cool. Is that a new 3DS, quote unquote, with the thumbstick and everything? Absolutely. Brand new, man. And yeah, the new style. They put it out when they put out the newest Metroid game, the redo of Metroid 2 for the 3DS. It's really awesome, man. I'm so happy to have it. It was super unexpected. But uh, yeah, it's cool, man. I'm really stoked to have a 3DS now. And it's, it's beautiful and a lot of fun to play. I didn't mention it before. We had this in our comments up top about my fantasy football winnings. Oh, yeah. Uh, Sorry to miss that. <laughs> no, it ties in really well now. Oh, cool. uh, yeah, so I play in a fantasy football league with some of our cousins. I've been doing it for you know several years. I usually do pretty good. But this year, it's a um, pick'em league, and we don't have, like, most fantasy football leagues, like, you pick players and stuff like that. This is just you pick the games against the spread. So it's really simple. It's a quick thing I can do every week. And there's some money involved in it. And it's not extravagant, but with so many people playing it, the winnings are really good. And I ended up coming in first place this year. So uh, I won several hundred dollars, let's just say. And so, of course, all this is going to games, you know, because this is uh, money that uh, that I won myself. Oh, sure. You know, as I tell my wife, this is, <laughs> I earned this. <laughs> Uh, So my first purchase is a copy of Mega Turrican for the Sega Genesis, and uh, it's a complete in-box copy. Really stoked to have it. I love the Turrican series, and I think the only one that I have left that I need is the one for the Game Boy, which I'll be searching for probably fairly soon. But that's my first purchase from uh, my winnings from Fantasy Football this year. So you'll probably hear about some in either the next show or maybe a show later down the road. But I got one more pickup, man. And I saved this one for last because it's so awesome. This year on New Year's Eve, we hosted and two of my best friends from grad school and their families came to our house. Seven kids 
and six adults and three dogs in our house. <laughs> and everybody stayed and actually spent the night because there was going to be some drinking involved, of course. And everybody wanted to be safe. And that's awesome. I'm happy for that. But uh, we all kind of hung out and my buddy brought me this brown paper bag and he said on the counter, he's like, here, man, this is for you. My dad found it in our garage. This was mine growing up. It's for you. And it said on it, Nintendo robot. (laughs) (laughs) I opened that bag up and it was a full Rob the robot. Uh, Nice. I have a complete Nintendo collection as far as the carts. I have Nintendo accessories, power pads, the guns, and I did not have a robot. I don't know if it works or not. I haven't tested it out, but I really don't care. You know, it's just something that's sitting on my shelf right now. And you see it like when you walk into my game room and uh, it's awesome, man. It's got the tops and stuff that go with it and all the little side pieces. So it, it's complete. So that's it. That's awesome. That's a lot of stuff, and, but congrats <laughs> yeah. on getting Rob the Robot. That's, that's Thanks, pretty man. neat. For free. Freebie, too, man. Yeah, I saw the picture of the bag. That was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. I died. I was like, I don't even want to open this. It's so cool. Like, just the bag, Rich's Nintendo Robot, you know? <laughs> and you can just imagine someone's dad writing it on there with a Sharpie and a brown paper bag. So cool. That's funny. Well, I mean... Our next segment is the what are you playing segment. I mean, you could edit this out if you want, Rich, but we're going to retire the soft-spoken uh, what yeah, are New you Year's playing? resolution. Yeah. <laughs> so for anybody who actually liked that gag, we're sorry, but we're, we're retiring that. Something we have agreed to do here. I don't know where it came from. I think I might have stolen it from somewhere else. I hope nobody was that attached to it. it was kind I of think we were just anyway. being goofy or just drunk yeah. or something. Oh, you? yeah. That's... <laughs> That probably was it, actually. I didn't even make that connection. Well, I have to go back and listen to all the episodes and see when it started. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, if people are bitter about this, I mean, there's always a chance we could bring it back if there's enough uh, you know, enough love for us stupidly asking what we're playing. Well, anyway, Rich, what are you playing? <laughs> oh, man. Well, I've been playing a lot of cool stuff recently. I mentioned I picked up a copy of Plock for the SNES, and I popped that in to check it out. I had one of those nightmare moments where you get something off eBay and you put it in and it doesn't work. It was mad in a 94. (laughs) (laughs) No, not not that bad. When I buy something before I put it in my system, I always clean it off with some alcohol and a Q-tip, right? I do the contacts Mm -hmm. just to make sure. I don't like putting anything dirty in my system. And uh, that didn't work. And I was like, oh, man, this is going to be one of those things I have to send back. Said it was tested, said it worked, which obviously it was Mm. um, because I have a very clean system that works. But I took out some brass cleaner and I did the contacts like that. And then after I got that off with the dry rub, I went back over it with some alcohol and a Q-tip and fired it up and it played fine. So it's working. I'm happy. But... I don't believe the part about this was tested, but anyway, um, <laughs> it's got a great label on it. looks nice. It's a fun little platform. It's very cartoony and goofy, and it's this little robot that runs around on this island and shoots his fist at things. It's sort of like Mario. You get to the flagpole. That's how you beat each level, and you hoist like your underwear up on the flagpole. It's really, it's really this kind of bizarre thing. It's fun. 
Um, it's not the best platformer because the sprite's so big, but um, I really enjoy it. It's it's kitschy. It's a game that you can find for under twenty bucks, and if you can find it, I would say uh, pick up a copy of Plot. It's a lot of fun and a nice addition to your Super Nintendo collection. The other thing I've been playing recently was uh, played a few more rounds today of Old Vandal Hearts, our oh, February yeah. game of the month. Oh my god, it's so good. Well, to quote you, it's so f***ing good, right? I mean, that's what you put on uh, yeah. <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> I meant that sincerely. This is, oh my God, I'll talk about it a little bit too, but I don't mean to steal your thunder, but God You're not. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to talk about it too much, you know, true, because we true. have to dedicate an entire episode to it. I'm going to leave it at that, and I'll, I'll save you a little room to talk about it. But uh, the other thing I've been playing in our last episode, I mentioned my favorite game was Final Fantasy Adventure for the Game Boy, and how that really changed the way I thought about the Game Boy. And our guest Josh had said last year I played Final Fantasy Adventure, and I also played Link's Awakening, and it's my other favorite game for the Game Boy. It's so good. And I'm like... I need to play Link's Awakening. I've never played Link's Awakening. So I played through that and I actually beat it a few nights ago. And uh, I got to tell you, man, I'm going to say this. I may get some hate for this, but it is better than A Link to the Past. Oh, man. It is now my favorite Zelda game out there. It's that good, man. That's at the single banana on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. At the single banana, not at single banana. The single banana. Yeah. Flood that hate in, man. It's good. You know, as I was playing it, I was posting some pictures and people on Twitter and on Instagram are like, oh, my God, it's so good. And other people are saying the same thing. It's my favorite Zelda game. Hmm. It's got some odd things going on in it. There's some side scrolling that is taken directly from Super Mario Brothers. And there's a lot of Mario and Nintendo characters in the game as well, which is a little bizarre. However, I can look past that. And the reason I think it's better than Link to the Past, I think... A, there's a continuing story that's going on. There's more dialogue. You interact with more characters. You don't really interact with a lot of people in A Link to the Past. You just kind of get thrown into it. Right. And it came out a year later than Link to the Past. I believe that's right. I think Link to the Past was, uh, I want to say, 92, 93. And then the Game Boy version was the following year. There's a lot of stuff that they took from uh, Link to the Past. But... Uh, Link's Awakening, man, such a fantastic game. There's some issues like, you know how like in A Link to the Past, like when you get the power bracelet, you can just pick up rocks and stuff like that and throw them. In this game, you have to equip the power bracelet before you can pick up the rocks. So there's a lot of menu jostling that's kind of annoying. But at the same time, you can also do this thing where you're like, you can use bombs and arrows. You can put one on A and one on B. And if you press both buttons at the same time, you shoot an arrow bomb. And so you can kind of combine your items oh, in various cool. ways. Yeah, it's really neat, man. And it's got kind of a, a neat sort of whimsical story, too, that's a lot of fun. If you like A Link to the Past, you have to play Link's Awakening. It's so good. And then you can just judge for yourself. I know a lot of people are going to say they like A Link to the Past better, and they're just going to be like kind of stuck on it. And for me, that was my favorite game in the series. But... Man, this really changed the way I looked at that series, and it's my favorite now. 
I mean, I try not to be one of those people that get stuck on something, you know, and like, oh, I have such great memories and feels for this because it's something I played a long time ago. I try to separate myself from that. I can't always do it, but I really did it this time and gave it a fair chance. And uh, yeah, I think it's a better game. There's just some little tweaks and additions that were added to this game that I think make it a little bit better. And uh, I got to mention also that my son's been playing it too. Oh, okay. Yeah, I posted a picture on Twitter and Instagram. He actually played through it, found a lot of stuff with some direction from me, but I did not play it. I did not grab the controller. He actually beat the first dungeon. He's six years old, and he beat his first Zelda dungeon. And man, that kid was dancing around and high-fiving and running (laughs) in place. He was just going nuts. And so... He did that on the Super Game Boy, on the Super Nintendo. Oh, cool. But uh, I gave him a Game Boy. and was like, here, man, play it on this. And he just blew his mind. He's like, you mean I can walk around and play this? <laughs> I was like, yeah, man. He was like, that's so awesome. So um, right before the second dungeon, there's this goblin boss that you have to take out. There's a lot of sub-bosses in this game, which makes it a lot of fun, too. And he couldn't get past it. And I showed him how to do it. You know, I played it. But I cut the game off before I actually beat the boss. And I was like, here, man, you got to do it. And he struggled and struggled. He got so frustrated and mad. But then he finally did it on his own, and he was just so happy. I'm trying to, like, implement don't give up. And he's the kind of kid that can really stick to something. He gets aggravated, and he'll turn it off, put it away for a little while, but he'll come back to it. That's kind of what I want to instill in him instead of doing it for him, you know? That way he feels like he earns it, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. Now, speaking of tweaks and improvements to the game... I asked you, are you playing the DX version? And you said something along the lines of, (laughs) hell no, why would I do that? Uh, (laughs) No, actually, you just said, no, the original, of course. And I said, why, of course? What does that mean? Can you explain that? (sighs) Yeah. I have this listed as discuss the, quote, original game hang up that I have. This is very interesting. (laughs) I kind of want to explore this with you. I know people are going to probably think I'm weird, and maybe some people have the same hang-up as I do, but when I play something, I like to play, like, the original version of a game. So, for instance, like, when we played Shadow of the Colossus, I don't think I had a PS3 at the time, but I played it on PS2. And even if I did have a PS3 or PS4, if we were to play it, like, in the next few months, and everyone was playing the new edition, I would go back and play the PS2 if I'd never played it before. There's something about seeing a game and what its original intent was without things added to it. And I explained this to you. It's like people that listen to the show probably know I love pinball. But with the newer pinball, what's happened is there will be an unfinished product sent out. And now pinball machines can be updated with code. And so they'll just send something out to make money. And people are waiting around for the code, and the games are usually terrible until that code gets out. But it's this thing about people just wanting their money before something's actually quote-unquote finished. And there have been pinball machines, one of which, Wheel of Fortune, that they never finish the code on. And it's an unfinished game. And that's sad, because that's just people trying to make money and, and them seeing no value in finishing something that they started. And so, for me... Playing something in the original capacity, especially retro games, this is more of a retro hang-up for me, I, I gotta say. I like playing the original and then maybe going on and looking at the remake to see what the remake was like and seeing if there's anything neat sort of added to it. But um, but yeah, man, I played the original green screen. Even though I was playing on the Super Game Boy on my TV, I would not change the color. I wanted to play it exactly <laughs> as it would have been played 
on that handheld. I just want to see what the original intent and what the creators were actually going for and doing and not something that people have added new things to, to quote unquote, try to make it better. I don't know if it's always better when people add things to it. I mean, hell, look at the Star Wars series, what Lucas did, you know, to the mm-hmm. four, five and six. I mean, that stuff didn't make those films any better. And people are searching high and low for the original VHS tapes or, you know, laser disc without all that added crap to it, you know? So... That's just kind of my feeling on it. Now, with new games, I'm a little different on, you know, like with patches and things like that that make games better. I understand that sometimes, you know, things are put out and flaws aren't identified before they're put out. And if those things can fix a glitch or make something better, of course, I'm all for that. I mean, that's very interesting. And to hear you explain (laughs) it, I can kind of identify with you. But I, from my perspective, I think there are so many instances where an updated or a deluxe version of the game effectively makes the original game obsolete. Like I used an example with you is uh, Castlevania. People call it Castlevania 64. And the kind of updated version they did of that called Legacy of Darkness, where they fixed a lot of problems in the original game. Yeah. To me, that makes the original version obsolete. But I, I'm going to admit, I haven't played either one of those games. So another example I would use of games that I have actually played would be Persona 3 and Persona 3 Fez, which is Festival Edition. They added a lot of stuff to the game. They added characters and the same thing with Persona 4 Golden on the Vita, which is the updated version of Persona 4 from the PlayStation 2. I could see myself wanting to play Persona 4 on the PlayStation 2, but I know in my heart that I never will because I've already played Persona 4 Golden. I've already seen it. I've already experienced it with the new characters. And I do feel like there's something to be said for the older versions becoming obsolete with the newer versions. So... On the other hand, I mean, it's freedom. You can play whatever you want. I think it's kind of cool that you're kind of scrutinizing the remakes or the special editions or the additions to these versions. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't even know what they added to Link's Awakening DX. I knew it was just Game Boy Color compatible. I don't know if there's any content changed or anything, but... uh, There is. Um, There's a thing where you can take photos in the game. There's like a camera shop that was added. I know at least that. I don't know what all was added, but there are a few things that are added. Well, it's an interesting perspective. It's it's pretty cool. I'm glad we <laughs> were able to kind of unpack it on the air here. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, you know, to, to kind of go back to like Shadow of Colossus, I think that playing that on the PS2 kind of lets you know how beautiful and revolutionary a game like that was when you compare it to other PS2 games. If you simply just play it on PS4, you have no knowledge of that. Plus, you have no knowledge of what they've added and what they've done to make it better. So, it's one of those things I've gone back and forth is, am I going to buy Shadow of the Colossus on the PS4? It's my favorite game. I'm going to have to at some point, but I'm not going to buy it new. I mean, I'm going to wait till it's like under 20 bucks before I get a copy of it and, uh, you know, play through it again. Now, if they added all the monsters that they intended to add in the original PS2 game, man, I'd be buying it day one. But, uh, yeah. you know, we know it's just going to be updated graphics and maybe some updated collectibles, of course, for all you people out there that love to do that. So in light of my like kind of resolutions, I'm not buzzing through crazy amounts of games right now. So I played um, Watch Dogs on the Xbox okay. One and... I just had this game from when I bought my Xbox One and wanted to play it. Just kind of randomly, I wanted to play something in that room on that system, and I picked Watch Dogs. 
I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would, honestly. It, it had the open world feel of like a Saints Row game without being like super off the wall and crazy like a Saints Row game. And it had the kind of half-baked stealth mechanics that I talked about in uh, Battlefield Hardline where you can kind of go in and try to be stealthy for like five minutes and then somebody catches you and you just open fire and it's a bloodbath, like, you know, rinse and repeat kind of scenarios. I actually really like that game. Um, I'm not, I wouldn't recommend anybody go out of their way to buy it, but it is like a $2 game, so... That's one of those love-hate type of games. There was a lot of hype about that before it came out, and uh, I don't know that it actually lived up to the hype for most people. I remember that. Yeah, there was a huge controversy at the time because this was when the the newer consoles were coming out, and there was some E3 trailer that had these really overemphasized, faked kind of graphics. And if you watch comparison videos, it's kind of crazy, like... They really cheated on these trailers that they made to make the game look much better than it actually turned out being. So that's where the controversy came. But I think when you kind of push that aside and just play the game as it was released, it's it's a pretty decent, fun little game. But the other thing I played, and I just finished it, which is a game I've been wanting to play since I heard that it was announced, is Nier Automata. And man, this is in the class of games uh, it's a lot like the last guardian where when this game got announced i was like what like what they're making a sequel to near like how could this be like what universe am i living in um <laughs> and kind of like the last guardian it was one of those things like oh as soon as this comes out i'm gonna get it and i didn't i ended up buying it a couple months later but then i decided like i have to play this game like as soon as possible i can't just let it go by me and forget about it because the first near was amazing amazing game and i've tried to play the dragon guard games too but couldn't really get into them but the first near was amazing I still kind of can't believe they made a sequel. If you look into the story of how the sequel got made, it's pretty fascinating. Like Yoko Taro is just friends with some producer at Square Enix and just kind of persuaded him to let him make this game. And the producer let him do it because he was sick of making Dragon Quest games. It's this whole crazy story. But the combat engine was developed by Platinum Games. So it's kind of an evolved Bayonetta style hack and slash game for that part of it but there's also like the previous near it just changes genres mid-game like mid-scene you'll be playing and then you're running around in 3d hack and slash the next thing you're in a platforming segment the next thing you're in like a bullet hell shoot 'em up segment like a shmup thing wow and then there's like these little geometry wars like mini games in certain sections and on top of all of that, you got the thing that Yoko Taro does in all his games where when the credits roll, baby, you just started. Like, you just got the first ending of five different endings, and you have to play through the game. And I'm going to say play through the game over and over, but you're not actually playing the game over and over. In the second playthrough, you take the shoes of a different character, and you play through his perspective, and it's the same but, like, completely different in a way. And then after that, the next scenario is a, a different character, and it's just... You would think this would get boring instantly, but it's just like, oh my God, I can't wait to see what happens next. And there's this just amazing game development defying things that were done in this game. And (laughs) I don't want to spoil anything, but there's something happens when you get the true ending that is just kind of mind blowing. I'll tell you off the air, but it's it's crazy. I don't want to spoil it on the show. Uh, I don't know if I want you to tell me off the air, man. This might be one I have to pick up. 
Oh, yeah. I would recommend it. I don't know. I mean, it is an RPG. So mm-hmm. even though you might not enjoy the hack and slash elements of it too much, you could just put the like I played it on the lowest difficulty and I didn't have too many issues with it. And also the other thing, too, is as far as difficulty goes, the extent to which you can customize your character is pretty amazing. It's traditional RPG stuff, but they contextualize it in the sense that the characters that you play as are androids. So you have these chips that you have to put in, and those are your permanent buffs. So, Hmm. And all the chips are things like your life bar in your HUD, and you can take that out and not see it. Or you can put like your experience bar in your HUD, or you can put like regenerating health or auto fire or all these crazy things. And there is a difficulty setting, but doing that kind of stuff can make the game even easier or much harder if you wanted it to. It's, it's really, really hands-on and really cool. Very cool, man. So yeah, those that's what I've been playing and I'm, right now. I'm playing Vandal Hearts, and that game is so addictive. I actually, I spent about almost two hours in a fight today, and it, I mean, I'll keep it short, and we'll talk about this game next month, but man, that game, in a tactical sense, has a really good way of making you feel smart, because I'm not really good at these games, and this game like is balanced so perfectly that it's not super hard, but it's not easy either. And it's just making me like an average tactical RPG player like feel like I'm a freaking genius sometimes. It's it's just really, <laughs> really well balanced for such an old game. It's it's amazing. Yeah, it's got a counterattack system that's uh a little tough to get used to, man. You really have to think a little more on your feet because of that. So uh I'm really enjoying it. It's the perfect game to like, you know, you can sit down like each day and just do like one battle. Yes. And then come back the next day, do another battle, save it. Yep. And if it takes too long, you can save in the battle, which I've used many times. You know, if I get frustrated or, you know, run out of time. Uh, today, my wife wanted me to help fold the laundry, so I had to save and quit and, <laughs> you know, go do the chores. So I love that. It's very convenient. It is, and uh, I'll just say this, the story is captivating, too, so, uh, yeah, I mean, be ready for some positivity next month, I think, you know, we haven't finished the game yet, so, but, uh, yeah, this is one that I think everyone's going to want to play. It's uh, relatively cheap, right? It's under 25 bucks. Yeah, I got my copy a long time ago, but yeah, for a tactical PS1 RPG, you would think it would be kind of up there, but it's really pretty affordable mm-hmm. i think the second one yeah. is more expensive i think it paid about 50 or 40 or 50 for that one yeah it's a little under the radar let's not call it hidden gem but yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a cult classic i wouldn't call it a hidden gem but a cult classic for sure uh, i knew that word grates on you so i'm <laughs> a not little gonna say bit. it no, not really <laughs> i don't know
So to kick off 2018, we chose a game called Oxenfree, which I had played back in October, but I enjoyed it so much, Rich, that I just said, hey, we should play this game. I think you would like it. Mm -hmm. And it kind of is in our wheelhouse. It's like a narrative adventure, and we like those a lot. So we decided to play 2016's Oxenfree. So our participants, you and I, Dougley007, Addicted, our champion of Punch-Out, Adam Bickman2K, Grr. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Musty Hobbit for the first time, who is a world-famous Cartridge Club member and also a really, he has a great YouTube channel, lots of great videos yeah. on there, very pleasant guy to watch on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good looking guy, Yeah, real good looking guy. <laughs> Sure. It make you angry. He's so good looking. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> and our our last chap here is also a, a real looker, uh, Kevin, who's been on the show before, better known as Buried on Mars. On their most recent podcast, which is Retro Fandango, he did a really nice shout out to us and mentioned Oxenfree. And yep. talked about the game a little bit on their show, so definitely worth checking out. I will say that to get to that point in the show, you have to listen to a pretty harrowing story that Kevin tells about something he encountered on a snowy highway. And I'll just leave it at that, but be prepared for something emotional if you want to listen to that show. And uh, speaking of something emotional, Rich, Kevin also has something else going on that I know you wanted to talk about here. I do. You mentioned episode 68, where he gives us a shout out, and then he also speaks about something, you know, really dear to his heart, an event that happened to him. But the episode before that, episode 67, is another episode I would say is it's a tough listen, but it's a really good listen. And, um, you know, we know Kevin. Kevin's a great friend of the show, really class act, great guy. And, um, he took a step away from Retro Fandango for a while because he lost his father in October. His father was only 63 years old. He was almost 64. And, um, you know, it's a really young age to, to lose a parent. Yeah. And uh, it's been tough on Kevin. I know he was close to him. In honor of his father, Kevin is doing a Twitch stream. It's a two-day event. It's going to start on the morning of February 10th and going to run through February 11th. He's going to be joined by a lot of members from the Cartridge Club and other people who are friends of his to do this gaming marathon to help raise money. He's trying to raise money for the Heart Research Institute, which is an institute that actually does research. Instead of being an organization that is more of an informative organization, you know, that's important as well. And I'm not, I'm not trying to belittle that, but this money's actually going straight to research and not awareness. So I just want to put that out there. And that's something that's really important to Kevin. Kevin's father passed away. He was almost 64 years old. And so his goal is to raise $640 Canadian for this charity. And so I hope that our listeners will take a moment to go over and check out his Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash buried on Mars. 
all one word, and donate to this cause. I know I will be. Kevin's a great guy, like I said, great friend of the show, has been just a great friend on social media and a real supporter of what Sean and I do on this show. So if you want to learn more about this, you can go to Buried on Mars, all one word, dot wordpress.com, and you can get a little more information. And uh, like I said, you can listen to episode 67. Again, it's a tough listen, but it's real. The last two episodes that Retro Fandango have put out are just real life episodes. And I think sometimes in the fun of doing all this, sometimes we lose that sense of realness. Video games are a way for us to escape from the real world sometimes. But I think sometimes we need to be kind of brought back and to see what it is to be human and to have those types of feelings. And uh, for me, it was... um, you know, it was really emotional listening to those two episodes, but uh, I'm glad he put them out there because it, it meant a lot to me, and I know it meant a lot to him, and uh, is really going to help him in his healing process. So, yeah, be sure to donate and be sure to check it out. Well, again, I have nothing to add to that, and it's going to be hard to kind of follow that up with the game that because <laughs> we're just going to talk about oxen free now. But yeah, I'll just echo that. Uh, you know, Kevin's a great guy and he really cheers us on. And I got to tell you that like when we experiment a little with the format here and Kevin tweets at us like, hey, I'm really enjoying that thing you did. I liked when you talked about baseball. It was neat. I liked when you talked about books. It was neat. Like, yeah. He kind of has helped validate the things that we're trying to do with this show. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it may seem like a small thing, but I respect the hell out of the guy. I've been watching his YouTube channel for years and years. So it really means a lot, and I'm I'm glad we're able to kind of put this out there in a way that will help him reach his goals and support him a little bit. So, absolutely, cool. So, Oxen Free was released in 2016 <laughs> by Night School Studios, and I think actually we usually talk about like, oh, here's here's a game that came out that was made by Team Eco or some other studio that's made a thousand games or whatever. But the cool thing about Oxenfree is that it was kind of formed out of Night School Studios' mission, which was to create a different type of narrative adventure game. So the studio was formed by Sean Crankle, who is a former Telltale Games employee, and his cousin Adam Hines, who was formerly with Disney Interactive Studios. They were formed out of a goal to create an adventure game wherein the player is given more control over the main mechanic of communication and also exploration freedom, as opposed to a linear series of dialogue choices strung together between cinematic cutscenes. So I thought that was really fascinating because... We actually haven't played any Telltale games for this show, but we've played a lot of games in that vein, like Life is Strange and Heavy Rain and all those. Like I said, we like this kind of genre. And I know we've said this a million times, but someday we will play a Telltale game. We're probably going to do Batman at some (laughs) point very soon. But I thought this is a really cool thing, especially for us and for the show, because when we did... Oh, what was the episode when I was talking about the evolution of that kind of game and what it would be? And here's my answer here. These guys came together and they said, well, we don't like how in Telltale games, it's just a series of dialogue choices and then a cutscene. We want to give the player more. We want to give the player more freedom, more options with the dialogue. I forget the exact number, but I watched one of the mini documentaries on the game with Sean Crankle, who wrote the game. He said they wrote 10 times as many lines of dialogue as would be in a Telltale game. 
I don't know if that was just bragging on Telltale or, you know, Night School has actually worked with Telltale. So I don't think there's any animosity there. I think he was just kind of throwing that out as a statistic. But I thought that was very interesting. And there's not too much else to say about it right now. It's still a very young studio and Oxenfree was their first game. Uh, They did a mobile game that was tied into the TV show, Mr. Robot. And now they're working on a game called After Party, which there's not much out there about just some art and screenshots. But it's like something where the characters are in hell and they have to get out and it has like some kind of comedic tone to it. (laughs) But Oxenfree, on the other hand... It's not a comedy. It's definitely a, a sci-fi adventure. Yeah. With a few little horror elements sprinkled in, I think. Yeah. So I wonder, do you have anything to say about, like, knowing this was their goal, and we'll get into the mechanics and everything, like, are you with me that this is like, wow, this is the answer to our questions. Like, this is really interesting that these two guys set out to do exactly what we have been talking about with adventure games on this show. Or is that just me, like, self-aggrandizing? Am I looking for something that's not really there? (laughs) No, I think it's a step in a really interesting direction. It's uh, definitely different than Telltale games where you just kind of got these, like you said, dialogue choices that lead to these sort of cutscenes, and then, you know, these QTEs and things like that. There's a lot more exploration in this game. I don't want to call it an open world game, but there are different places you can go to. You can feel free to explore on your own. It is linear in the sense that you go from point A to point B to point C to point D as far as following the story and moving about in the game. But there is a little more player control and a lot more player option than there would be, say, in a Telltale game. And one of the things is you have the choice of not using dialogue in this game. I mean, you could play the whole game without dialogue. And in fact, there's an achievement for not using any dialogue in the game. So, yeah, it's interesting. When I was watching the documentaries with these guys, I was really like... It was one of those things where I was watching it and just kind of cheering them on. Like, yeah, like, that, that's what I want somebody to do. You guys are doing it. Like, it, Well, obviously, I need to watch this documentary oh, yeah. to get a, a better perspective. I think that would help. Yeah. yeah, they're all very, there's like five little mini documentaries that are like 10 minutes long each. Definitely, definitely worth checking out. Um, so as for the story of the game... I just wrote this out, so I'll read it. Alex, who is our player character, Ren and Jonas, who is Alex's stepbrother, ferry out to Edwards Island for a weekend party with Clarissa and Nona, who are friends of theirs, presumably. I mean, this is all kind of thrown at you at the very beginning of the game. Um, Things quickly become contentious as it is revealed that Clarissa blames Alex for Alex's brother, Michael's death. Clarissa was dating Michael when he died and is unforgiving towards Alex about the situation. The group splits up as Alex, Ren, and Jonas explore a nearby cave, and Alex unwittingly opens a space-time rift with her radio. From here, the gang must figure out how to get off the island without having their souls stolen by the spectral inhabitants eternally trapped on the island. (laughs) So... (laughs) so there's a lot going on there that's basically the opening of the story but as you mentioned rich this is pretty linear i mean you're given this kind of setup 
But then as soon as you get out of the cave, you go to the radio tower and then you go to the other radio tower. The barracks, yeah, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. But there is just a kind of a point A to point B. And the exploration is more trying to get your bearings on the map, I found, at least on my first playthrough. Um, yeah. But it's kind of hard to get lost or anything. And the story itself just kind of unfolds as you go, obviously. As with most narrative adventures, you are kind of shaping Alex's character and how she interacts with the other characters leading up to what can be multiple endings or multiple endings for this game. So the way you act and the things you say as Alex affect all that and your relationships with the people. So as I mentioned in our previous episode leading up to this one, the first time I played the game, I was very standoffish to all the characters to the point where I got all of the characters to dislike me and got an achievement for it. Um, <laughs> but this time, as I played through, I was like super nice, super cooperative Alex and just trying to get things done and be nice to everybody. But the the story is very much borderline horror, but not really horror. It's kind of yeah, more yeah. like creepy science fiction. I would say like science fiction slash thriller. Yeah, definitely. More like Twilight Zone-esque than uh, horror. There are some parts that are a little creepy, but there's nothing that jumps out at you or anything like that that I would call horror. Absolutely. And uh, you bring up Twilight Zone, and we also talked about Stranger Things being a comparison. And you had brought yeah. this up before you played the game, and I, I actually told you, like, I'm not really seeing that. Like, don't take it in that direction. But now that I've played the game again and I've thought about it, I've seen other people make those mm -hmm. comparisons, I don't think it's that far off the mark. The difference here is that these characters are high school students, but they're very adult. And yeah. where Stranger Things is younger kids. I agree with that. I think one of the things that I sort of picked up on that reminded me of Stranger Things is illusions in the game. Like there's allusions to like Back to the Future. There's allusions to Pretty Woman in one of the endings oh, okay. that we'll talk about later on. So there are these like little snippets of nostalgia that kind of remind me a little bit of Stranger Things and the fact that you're, you know, fighting this evil as like a group and trying to get off the island together and combating this sort of supernatural force. So I think those things, but I get what you're saying. It's not a group of kids. You know, they're there to drink and party. That's why they've come out to that island, right? Yeah, and I want to uh, bring up, there's a YouTuber who I mentioned sometimes named, uh, his channel's called Errant Signal, and he does really good mm -hmm. reviews of games. And in his review of this game, he said two things that I really liked. He said that these are high school students who are written and speak like college students, which I thought was mm -hmm. very true. And that the horror, quote unquote, is something akin to a Goosebumps book. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I kind of don't disagree with that. I don't know if Goosebumps books were of your time, Rich. You're a little bit, no offense, a little bit older than me, but I read them when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little past my time. My wife has more nostalgia for it. She's two and a half years younger than me. Okay. So yeah, it hits her wheelhouse a little more. Yeah. But the whole aesthetic of high school kids written as college kids in a Goosebumps-esque story, I think that just kind of nails it on the head, you know? Yeah. Um, but... That's the story that we're given, and that's the story we're thrust into. Again, Alex, she's your player character, and uh, you're just set upon this island with the other characters. So 
I don't know if I have anything else to say about the story or the setup of the story before we just dive into gameplay. I don't want to steamroll the whole discussion here. Um, <laughs> no, let's do it. All right. Um, so the gameplay, as we mentioned, it is an adventure game, but it's not a 3D adventure. Like, so I, we keep mentioning Telltale, but we got to get Telltale out of our head because this is something totally new and different. This is actually like a 2D walking around kind of game. You could even say 2.5D because you're going up and there's also a, a little bit of depth, not a ton, but you can go into the background and foreground a tiny little bit. There's a lot of vertical traversal and left to right traversal. And when there are conversations going on, the standard reaction is that Alex will have three speech bubbles above her head and you choose one. And on the controller, it is mapped to three of the face buttons, uh, X, Y, and Z, mm -hmm. I think, on the Xbox controller. Now, Kevin, Buried on Mars, who we mentioned, made a really good point, and he, I've heard other people say this, is that it's better to play with a controller because your muscle memory kind of goes to the buttons, whereas yeah. if you're playing on the PC and playing with a mouse, it's a little bit more challenging to kind of hunt and click on those thought bubbles in time. And the reason for that is... Some of these conversations go by really quick and you have to make your decisions really quick or you'll miss them. I know, Rich, now yeah. this is something you want to talk about, I know, because this is a, a little bit of a frustration for you. So tell me about that. Yeah, I'm a fairly quick reader, but I feel like the thought bubbles maybe move a little too fast. Yeah. And you have to make very instinctive reactions. But the thing is, is you have to read all three options and you have to process what you your gameplay is going to be like if you're going to be nice to people if you're going to be mean to people and sometimes that's hard to do in that quick of time i wish that the developers would have tagged on a little more time for that and then the other thing that i would say i would notice something that i didn't really care for is like when you make that choice it oftentimes cuts off other dialogue that's going in the background so you feel like you may be missing something important as far as dialogue or story wise Yes, I definitely agree with you and with all the other people who have said this. This is a very like common complaint about this game. And I'm not exactly sure if there was a reason for it. They didn't mention it in these documentaries that I watched. They didn't say anything about why they, you know, the dialogue was so fast. Maybe they just, as far as pacing, they wanted to make sure you... Because they actually use a term a lot, walking and talking. Like, mm -hmm. they want you to be moving and talking as you're going through the game. There's no point, really, where you have to stop and just listen to a conversation and, and go through your options. What they were trying to do, I think, was just to keep the game flowing, keep the pacing moving, yeah. so that you're always moving, you're always thinking, you're always kind of quickly analyzing these conversations that you're in. Um, but to that end, I think they might have went a little too far in that, like you said, when you pick some of these options, it just cuts off what the other person is saying and you don't get to hear it. And on the other hand, if you wait too long, you might miss your chance to pick anything. So thing I didn't find it, you know, only frustrating, like in a couple moments from time to time, yeah. but not like this dialogue system is broken. I can't play this game. Like it wasn't like that. <laughs> Absolutely at all, not. So. Yeah. Yeah. And you get used to it, too. You get acclimated to the game, and so it becomes easier to make those choices. You kind of understand 
you know, I think sometimes the, the more negative options are on one side and the more positive ones are on the other side. So I think they do some things to kind of help you with that. But I think maybe what they were going for is a more like natural speech. You know, I mean, when you're with friends and things like that, there are parts where people are telling a story or talking about something and, you know, you interrupt them and it's kind of naturally how conversation flows sometimes. I compare it to something like the movie, like The Big Lebowski, um, you know, like the bowling scene where they keep like interrupting each other, yeah. you know, like the whole like Vladimir Lenin thing. And, you know, it's natural speech. That's the way people really talk. People don't just talk, stop, then someone else talks, stop. And so I can understand that. And maybe that's what they were going for. I don't know for a fact. But like you said, it doesn't break the game. I mean, it doesn't make this a game that's not interesting or fun to play. It still works, but it's just something that I picked up on that was a little bit of a frustration. And it's more of a frustration for me from the onset of the game until I could get used to it. Yeah, totally. I can see that. Um, the other major mechanic that we have in the game is Alex's radio. And it's <laughs> kind of, I mean, it is funny because it's like, why does she have this radio? And like, what's the point? It's like, it's basically the Silent Hill radio, you know? <laughs> you just pull it out and it lets you hear where the monsters are, kind of. Um, but this is introduced early in the game, and I, I kind of like the way it's presented. I do, too. Yeah. The radio dial appears above her head, and you can scroll through it with the right stick. And um, I kind of liked that mechanic of hunting through the dial to find the sweet spot. It's a very simple mechanic, and it's... You know, almost like a, I don't want to say pointless, but it does contextualize something in a way that just made me kind of like doing it. It's kind mm -hmm. of hard to explain. Like, what else could they have done? I don't know. I like that they introduce this because otherwise you just have the people walking and talking and things just happening to them. But in this way, it's almost like the um, the wand and the wind waker where you have to play the song to make the boat go. You know what I mean? It's It kind of just makes you do something to make something happen rather than it just happening to you. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. That totally makes sense. I like the radio. I think it's a neat adaptation to the game. And at the beginning of the story, Ren talks about, did you bring the radio? And he says, you can't get radio stations out here or any frequencies. Because I think as they're traveling on the boat, from what I remember, Ren says something about somebody's supposed to play a song for him. One of their friends is like a DJ. No, that's right. Like at a local station. Yeah. And so that's the last time you get to hear normal radio. And it totally amplifies the creep factor, right? Because there's these old tunes that can play yeah. on the island. You can like tune into certain things at different points. There's garbled speech. There's instances where there's Morse code. You can pick up spots on the island when you go to like different buildings and different. Um, we should mention that this was an old. Was it sort of like a naval station? Is that correct? Yeah. Like a a military station, yeah, some kind of base on this island, right? Yeah, and so you can go to the different uh, places, and it's like a historical walking tour where you can tune to. Uh, I think it's one hundred two point five, if I remember correctly. I could be off on that, but uh, you can actually listen to like kind of a walking tour as you go to the different places. Which is kind of neat. It aids in the story, but it really intensifies the creep factor of the entire game. And to me, the radio is what really makes the game work. It gives it that Twilight Zone-like edge that we were talking about earlier. It also helps to facilitate the fact that Alex is kind of in a conflict at certain points with what she's doing. 
Yeah. So by putting the radio in, in the player's hands and there are certain points where some stuff is going down and you have to kind of use the radio <laughs> to get out of it or to solve it. But then there's uh, repercussions for, for what's going on. So it kind of puts that conflict in your hands as the player. So Yeah. And we got to say, too, that it's the only weapon in the game, right? I mean, yeah, you sure. use it for I don't want to call it combat because it's not <laughs> it's not really combat. But uh, I got to say, this is actually a Sean approved non-combat game. Like there there really is no <laughs> combat in this game. And, and there's no way to die in this game either. Yeah, I didn't even really realize that. But all of you, uh, spoiler, make it off the <laughs> island at the end of the game now. How is that going to factor into the story you get or uh, the repercussions of your actions on the island can change things. But uh, you're always all going to make it to the end of the game. So that's interesting. Um, And for that reason, I I have a note here that I didn't put in our notes, but I put walking simulator question mark. Um, And I think some people might call this a walking simulator, but I don't know about you, but I'd have to disagree with that. Yeah, I've seen it called a walking simulator. And I I mean, as I've mentioned, I think I mentioned it on the Cartridge Club show that we were on that, man, I know a walking simulator when I see one and this is not a walking simulator. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like That's one of those easy buzzwords that people use like hidden gem. Exactly. It's definitely kind of a derisive term that people use to talk down to games that aren't shooty and explodey. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of interaction in this game, so I would not call it a walking simulator. There's a lot of freedom of choice and, uh, you know, freedom of mobility throughout this game, especially when it comes to some of the collectibles yeah. that you can you can get during the game. Now, did you see any value at all in the fact that the radio gets upgraded towards the end of the game? I put pointless with a question mark because I think it kind of was, you know. If anything, it just takes longer to find the stations you want. It does. Um, I played the limited run version, and what I really liked about Planet on the PS4 is like the Dual Shock. So the controller kind of rumbles when you go by the correct station. Yeah. So that's really awesome. I really enjoyed that because it made it easier, especially when your radio goes from I think fifty to one hundred and fifty. But uh, yeah, I don't see the reason for upgrading the radio. I guess it kind of flowed with the story as far as, you know, typically like with radio frequency, it goes from, I want to say like, is it 88 to like 108? Is that correct? That sounds, yeah. Yeah, I think that's sort of like the normal frequency, but having this extra radio that went from 50 to 150 kind of gave you the sense of this is something very supernatural. This is, you know, a way that they were able to talk to the dead. This is something that maybe only the military has these types of frequencies, right? So that they can transmit and hide things okay. from pedestrians. So, yeah, it kind of gave me that feel. But oh, as far good. as the usefulness of it. I never thought of it. Honestly, I'm going to stop you there because I think that was, that's a really good point. You've just persuaded me that it wasn't pointless. <laughs> um, I mean that. like No, no, it was pointless. <laughs> well maybe from a mechanical standpoint but contextually exactly that really makes sense like maybe it's some kind of otherworldly thing or maybe it's military technology i love that rich that's a good insight yeah so if you want to talk to some freaking ghosts get you a radio that goes from 50 to 150 (laughs) (laughs) now i should say just as an aside since you mentioned you played it on the ps4 i played it on the xbox one and i gotta say we couldn't have picked a better time to play this game because 
It was a Games with Gold on Xbox One like three months ago. It was $5 on the Switch, like Nintendo eShop, when we were signing people up to play the game. And it was free on GOG on the PC at the time that we were signing people up for this game. So it's available on everything. And it was really cool that when we were trying to get people hyped up to play it, it was either free or very cheap. So there are collectibles in this game, as Rich mentioned earlier, and I didn't really go for them. I got a couple letters, but I found that as I was reading the letters, oh, I hate to say this, but they were so important to the story, but I wasn't like really absorbing them. It's it's hard to explain. Like They just didn't really hit me the right way. I don't know if I was so into the dialogue and the characters in the present, but when we started looking back into Margaret Adler's story, I don't know why, man. It just didn't stick with me enough to go and find all of her letters, but you did, right? I did. Uh, I got to say, too, and something I didn't mention, I did this in one setting. Well... I exaggerated a little about one setting, but I did it all in one day. Right. So I think that, for me, still counts as one setting. So it's a game that you can play through fairly quick. It's only about six to eight hours, maybe, five to eight hours, depending on you know how much you do with it. I did do the collectibles. I typically don't like games with collectibles, but these collectibles were easy to find. There were the abnormalities, is what they were called, the abnormal frequencies that you could find. There's just little rocks that are stacked on each other that you just kind of tune into a, a station and you can listen to. And like you said, Maggie Adler's letters that you could get. And this game is not open world, but it does give you a chance to kind of walk around in the letters and even the abnormal frequencies are very easy to find. It's not something that you have to painstakingly look around for. So I just did it as I was going and it probably got to a point where I had like maybe four or five more letters to get and maybe like three more frequencies that I needed to get. So I was like, why not go around and try to find these things and just do a little bit of uh, roaming around, have some fun with the game. So yeah, I did that before I finished it off. And I got to say that if you're wanting to finish that, if you're playing the game, make sure you take care of everything before you go into the bunker. Once you go into the bunker, you can't get them any longer. Right. So. That's pretty cool. Um, We should also mention there was a outside of the game augmented reality game that they did that kind of ties in with this. And I'm just going to I hate to do this, but I'm just going to read the Wikipedia because it's just weird. The game also has an alternate reality counterpart within the game are radio frequencies that provide hints to a real phone number. Phone number led players to a Twitter account, X-Ray, 9, blah, 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 a bunch of numbers. The account posted various cryptic coded messages, all of which seemed to point to a real-world location. On May 7, 2016, YouTuber Jesse Cox posted a video similar to the PS4 Oxenfree trailer, but with several letters highlighted in red. This led players to edwardsisland.com. Several messages were found, but most importantly was Milner is Ward, confirming that a special object would be hidden at Fort Ward, Washington. Uh, I'm almost done with this. On June 11, 2016, fans playing the ARG discovered the object was a box with letters by Alex from all the possible timelines in the game and a manually operated tape player with two paper music tapes of songs from the game soundtrack. So that's that's wow. actually pretty cool, and it sounds like um, that's awesome. 
one of the coolest geocaching that must have been really neat i don't know who found it but the fans who found this that must have been really cool for them yeah i thought that was a neat little story i did see some youtube videos from around the time this was happening and it was pretty cool because people had all their like theories about what was going on so it's it's kind of a neat little time capsule of this event that they did to kind of look back on what people were kind of guessing that it was you know because like we said this is kind of a mystery it's very twilight zoney x-files like i could see people really getting into this so i think it's really cool that they did something like that Speaking of people getting into the game, I mentioned at one point there's Morse code in this game. So people have decoded all the Morse code in this game. I mean, that's how into it people have gotten. And I got to say, most of the messages are just kind of weird and strange. But there was one, Sean, I was watching a video just to see what all the messages were. Just thinking that maybe it might help with something in the story, maybe add something to it. There was one message that particularly freaked me out. And this this is true. You can watch the video on it. There was a Morse code that said, do you want to play, question mark, banana? <laughs> That's <laughs> it's awesome. It's in this game. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So maybe they listen to our show. Probably. <laughs> I, I mean, what else could it be? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's too much of a coincidence. Let's move on to the uh, to the music sound, and we could talk a little bit about the graphics too, because the art style here is very distinctive. But the music was done by a guy. His name is Andrew Rohrman, but he goes by the name Scientific, and that's spelt in kind of a stylized way with no vowels, so it's S C N T F C. And um, he's doing. Again, kind of like throwback 80s, very similar to Stranger Things music, to be honest. But 
again, in the little featurettes on the game, he was explaining how he did some of the sound effects because he, he did like the total sound design for the game, minus the voice acting, I, I would assume. And he was talking about how he got like uh, period accurate radio equipment to make a lot of these sound effects. <laughs> wow. And it's it's really neat and really fascinating. But the music as well is just this creepy synth kind of 80s. Yeah. Just ambient. dark ambient. Yeah, it's really, really good music. And I, I know you've been yeah, listening is. to it. I haven't listened to it independent of the game yet, but I certainly intend to. But you, you've been jamming to it, Rich? Well, I wouldn't call it jamming. But, <laughs> but yeah, I like a lot of ambient stuff. And, uh, you know, most of the stuff is not quite as dark that I listen to that, that is ambient. It's kind of more cheerful stuff uh, like uh, Tycho and uh, Aphex Twin and stuff like that. But yeah, it, it's kind of dark, but um, it's really, really well done. And it's one of those things that you can just kind of put on your headphones at work and listen to, you know, and just kind of get absorbed in it. Even though it's really dark, it's really enjoyable. I love the sense just the ambient sound. It's beautiful. We've said a lot of times that, you know, something that's quote unquote adequate is high praise from us. But I think for me in listening to the soundtrack outside of the game, it really, really stands out and has legs on its own. And I would say it would be above the standard that we set. It's, it's really good. I would suggest anyone who has any interest in this type of music to uh, definitely give it a listen and check it out. But hell, just play the game. For sure. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> you could play the game I'm recommending a good sound system or headphones because it's it's worth it. Just the meshing of all the sound effects and the music together, it all comes together really well in this game. Another thing that's fantastically done in this game, and it has to be in a game that really relies on dialogue, and if you're going to call your game Walking and Talking, you better get the talking part right, and that's 50% mm -hmm. of your mission statement. So I just got to say, the voice acting, I think, for what they're doing, the voice acting is phenomenal in this game. I really enjoyed all the characters. I didn't have a problem with anybody's voice acting. I think everybody was very effective in their characterizations. Clarissa is supposed to be a nasty character with reasons for that, and she, you know <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. very, very well done. And I thought the voice actress who did Alex was right on the money. And I said, like, Alex has these conflicts with everything that's going on and with Michael's death and, and her guilt about it. There's just a lot of stuff in her heart that I know that this is one of those things where as the player, as the person experiencing it, especially someone who's played the game twice. So the second time I play it, I'm connecting even more with that because I know what's going on. But if you play this game and you're you're willing to just kind of absorb yourself into the game and meet the actors and the designers halfway, I think it's really rewarding because the voice acting is so good that you feel like you're in these characters' heads. I'm probably overselling it a little, but I don't know how... I mean, <laughs> Rich, you got to agree with me to some extent here. The voice acting is top-notch here. Yeah, I mean, I think it helps bring out the personalities of the characters. Certain characters like Ren is sort of like that really talkative, annoying friend that everyone has, but you still love that person, you know what yeah. I mean? Just the total goofball, and it really works. 
Jonah, I think the dialogue is very adequate for him as well. And like you said, Clarissa, I mean, you know, she just has that attitude and everything's done so well. And it really helps develop the characters when you have dialogue such as this that's so good. I did want to say the character Nona, for some reason, reminds me of Velma in Scooby-Doo. And I don't know if it's because she wears orange and she's just sort of like the tag along to Clarissa, who's supposed to be like the beauty, like in Scooby-Doo. But, uh... I don't know what it is. She just she just reminds me of that character for some reason. Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, Nona is more of a background character. Mm-hmm. Also, I think you said Jonah when you meant Jonas a little bit earlier. Yeah, um, Jonas. Yeah. But I had the same issue with Ren in my first playthrough. I was so <laughs> pissed off at Ren. <laughs> like, and that's the thing too. When when you're about to go in this cave and Ren just is like. Oh, I've been doing drugs and I, you know, I ate my edibles just now. And you're like, (laughs) what the hell, man? Like, but then that's like one of your dialogue choices. And you can make Alex say, what, what are you doing, you moron? Like. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's the funny thing. When you get off the boat, the character Jonas uh, lights a cigarette and smokes and Ren's giving him hell about it. And then like he's like like, doing drugs and smoking up and stuff. And you're like, everybody knows that guy that's always on people for like smoking cigarettes. But yet, you know, they're going to do drugs. It's hilarious. So, I mean, that just makes him who he is, you know, and it really kind of develops that character. Yeah. So I just got to say, like. All in all, the voice acting and the characterizations were really well done. Now, as far as the artwork, they put pretty much all their art in the hands of one member of their team, which is Heather Gross. And she used kind of a watercolor style. It's very lush and soft, but also where it needs to be. Like, you know, the trees look very jagged. It's a very good juxtaposition of lush greenery with also kind of scary jagged mountains and rocks and trees so Mm -hmm. even though it's very stylized it's very artistic and kind of cartoonish it has a sense of realism to it and it's two-dimensional i mean it looks like something from a late 70s maybe or early 80s cartoon and they I'm trying to look for it now. They mentioned this one movie that they use as a big inspiration, but I can't remember the friggin' name of it, and it's killing uh-huh. me right now. But um, if you knew <laughs> it, you would know what I was talking about. But yeah, the um, the characters, actually, when you're playing on the screen, you, they're very small. Yeah. Um, but there are these they like are. character yeah. portraits. Throughout the game, characters will take Polaroid pictures of each other, and uh, they'll show them in the loading screens. And this is where you really see the stylization of the character models. I happen to like them. I maybe didn't like them at first, but they kind of grew on me. But Rich, you mentioned that wasn't really your favorite thing. Do you you want to comment on that? Yeah, it reminds me of the art style from like Kim Possible. You know, like that cartoon. I didn't even think about that, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, I, I didn't really care for that. And what I'm talking about is the Polaroid shots. That's what it reminds Mm -hmm. me of, uh, that art style. But when you're actually playing the game, I feel like the characters are very ill-defined. There's, you know, not a lot of blacks used on the characters to sort of, like, define their faces and stuff like that. So, I don't know. I mean, it's good enough where it allows you to use your imagination and 
know what these characters are supposed to look like. You know, even from the photo that's taken at the beginning of the game on the boat, you have a generalized idea, but the characters themselves are not very well-defined during the gameplay segments of the game, if that makes sense. But it's not off-putting to me at all, and I do think the backdrops and uh, the settings of the game are exquisite and beautiful. I love, you know, the use of colors, and like you said, the kind of juxtaposition of the jaggedness of the forest and the very stale colors that are used, like inside the military installation, which, you know, you would come to expect. It all really works well to give it a real creepy vibe, so I do like the art style, but Again, not really sold on the uh, photos and the snapshots and that kind of style. Well, fair enough. And she mentioned in the interviews that I watched, it's cool that you mentioned the environments because she said that it was challenging, but I think she did a really good job. Oh, yeah. In a game like this, you have to be able to present a good art style in your environments, but also you can't make it so beautiful and artistic that the player doesn't know where to go. Like You have to know what paths you can go and what is a door and what is a ladder and you know what I mean like so absolutely it was very interesting to hear her talk about those things how she had to fit the traversal stuff into her artwork which is pretty neat Mm -hmm. I think she did a great job on it yeah I mean one thing I can say about this game if you've played this game and you see it being played at some point you're not going to walk up to the screen and, and be like oh, what game is this? I mean, it's distinctive, you know? It has a very distinctive art style that really stands out, and you can say, oh, well, this is Oxenfree. It doesn't look like anything else I've really ever seen. Yeah, definitely. So it was killing me, Rich. I had to look it up because I couldn't (laughs) not mention this, and and our listeners can definitely look it up. The movie that Heather Gross said she was influenced by, was it's called The Secret of Kells. Actually came out in 2009, but the art style in this movie is very distinct. I'm looking at screenshots of it now, and by no means am I going to say like Oxenfree ripped this off, but you can see it's beautifully taken inspiration from this movie. It's one of those things where you can say, oh yeah, like I'm glad they brought it up because it looks a lot like that, but in no way is it a ripoff. It was torturing me, man. I had to look that up. <laughs> <laughs> So I guess what we should do now is kind of wrap up where the story ends up because we kind of left it kind of in the middle of the story. So basically what you discover is that you're on this military base and the base is inhabited by these specters of a submarine crew from the the USS Canaloa, which is a submarine that was sunk by friendly fire And there was a space-time rift opened up, and the crew of the submarine is now trapped in a time rift, basically. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of stuck there forever, and they see an opportunity to inhabit the bodies of you and your friends. And it's one of the things, towards the end of the game, you have this choice, quote-unquote. And having played the game twice, it gets a little confusing to me, so... Rich, feel free to jump in and help me with this. <laughs> sure, sure. But basically, you're given the choice to kind of sacrifice Clarissa to the ghosts, if you want to call them that. But there's really no way to do that, I think. In the end, you have to escape the island with everybody. It's just a matter of whether or not you save Michael. And I'll explain that in a second. But the endings of the game are pretty static, except for there is one ending 
and I forget what the conditions of it are, but you can actually, there's a, a little cutscene at the end where you don't go to the island, but still the loop continues. So theoretically, there's no way to get out of this time loop. And the whole point of the thing is that now Alex is in the time loop. I'm afraid that I'm getting like confusing by kind of rambling and babbling <laughs> about it because if you if you haven't played the game, you shouldn't be listening to yeah. this. But <laughs> if you have played the game, you you know what I'm talking about. Um, right, right. So basically, as Alex, you're stuck in a time loop. And we talked about the radio in the beginning. There's a way you can actually send a message to yourself. And it's really cool because she says, Alex, don't go to the island. And in that little yeah. cutscene at the 7-Eleven or whatever it is, Ren says, Oh, that's pretty cool. How did you do that? And she's like, wait, that was me. Wait, what's going on? Like, it's very cool and creepy how they executed it. Mm -hmm. And then they just say, well, let's not go to the island. But then all that does is it just gives you an ending and throws you back into the main menu anyway, where the loop continues. The only other kind of main thing you can change in the game is making it so Michael doesn't die. And the whole thing is that, as I mentioned in the beginning of the story, Clarissa was dating Michael. Michael wanted to leave the town and go live his life and go to school somewhere else or whatever it is. So Alex tells him they should go swimming one last time together and Michael ends up drowning. So this is why Clarissa blames Alex for his death and Alex feels very guilty over it. Towards the end of the game, there's a flashback sequence where you are with Michael and you can actually tell him, just stay here, don't leave town. And then he doesn't. Yeah. So at the end of the game, in that ending, he'll just be on the boat with everybody, which is kind of neat. Um, and then Jonas is not even your stepbrother. He's just some kid that's hanging out with y'all. That's considered, quote unquote, the best ending, right? I think so. That's that's the ending I got the second time around. Like I tried to do everything right, obviously. And I did get that like 7-Eleven cutscene too, so... To me, I mean, that's sort of considered the best ending because it's the ending that kind of gets you out of the time loop where you don't go to the island. Right. And Michael survives and your brother's back. And I guess people would consider that a good ending. But to me, it I don't know. There's something odd about it where it's not really satisfying. Yes. And I think for me is that you're basically telling your brother to not go off to school. And for me personally, and the reason I didn't save Michael was because I wouldn't ever tell someone not to go off to school because of some girl. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I mean, I, I do. Yes. I grew up in a really small town. And so being able to leave that setting and kind of broaden myself and go to a school that was hours away, you know, was a fantastic experience for me. And it's not something that I would tell someone not to do. So... For me, that, that was hard. I didn't want to tell him to stay. And for a sister to say that to a brother, oh, don't leave because I don't want you to leave me and that sort of thing, it almost kind of felt like a, I don't know, a more selfish decision, I guess. Or And so I didn't do so that. So let me ask you this. As you were playing that scene, were you purely role-playing or did you know at this point, if I pick this, I'll get Michael to survive? Like, did you know the ending no, I, I had no idea that Michael could survive in this game. Okay, so I'm with you. I did the exact same thing uh, in my first playthrough. Yeah. So now that you explain it, I didn't realize that you didn't know. Of course you wouldn't know, like unless you spoiled it for yourself. So that makes sense. And yeah, I wasn't thinking. Like I didn't realize that was a thing. Like you can save Michael. So I just told him, like, look, you follow your heart, do your thing. You know what I mean? And then, yeah. And I got to agree with you in that. 
I'm glad I didn't get a quote-unquote good ending the first time I played. I mean, I got not the worst ending, but pretty close to it. Ren and Nona didn't get together. Jonas was like, whatever. (laughs) And And Clarissa still hated you. definitely not friends with Clarissa. But then the other thing, like when the reveal comes out that you're like stuck in this time loop and the oh that that little yes. static thing where your voice changes oh, oh my god it's, it's beautiful <laughs> that's perfect i mean that's the old crap yeah. moment you know and it, it it gives it that like twilight zone feel you know like when you watch an episode of twilight zone it ends and you have this feeling of unease yes. you know what i mean yes to me that's what made the ending perfect i mean I don't know. I just wouldn't want an ending that's tidied up. And I wouldn't consider that the quote unquote best ending. Yeah. Because I think that's kind of the point of Oxenfree is that you think about decisions and choices you make in life. And if you had the chance to go back and change them, would you? But even those bad decisions or those decisions you regret, like taking your brother swimming and him dying that night... I mean, do those decisions still not make you who you are? Is that not the point of the game? And so bringing him back to me is almost kind of flawed in that sense of things happen for a reason. We go through things in life for a reason. We struggle, but they make us who we are, if that makes sense. Right. I feel like if there's anything like a canon ending, it's not a happy ending to this story. And I think the story... It's so much more effective with the time loop plot twist. Mm -hmm. It's not even really a twist. It's just like, oh, man, that just happened. Like, that's what's happening. (laughs) Oh, Oh, my God. And uh, again, just becoming so enamored with the character of Alex as I was, it was like, oh, my God, what a nightmare. Like, that's nightmarish. It's, It's amazing. So good. Yeah. So, yeah, we kind of pose a question to each other. Like, the, as you were saying, the theme of this game is, you know, if you could change your past to affect your future, would you? And, uh, I mean, Rich, you posed the question. Did you have some thoughts about this in your life? I guess so. I mean, without being specific about anything, which I wasn't asking anyone to do, you know, there's decisions I've made in my life that I wish that I could maybe go back and see like, what if, you know, and I don't mean like situations with family, my current, my situation with my wife and kids or anything like that. I'm awesomely happy with the decisions like that I've made in life, but you know, like going on certain trips or taking different job opportunities or choosing a different path in college or things like that. Like how would my life have turned out? And, um, You know, I can't help but to think that if I had made any of those changes in any way, I would have maybe sacrificed what I have now. And I don't think there's anything in me that would ever want to do that. Do you know what I mean? I mean, just the slightest thing, like um, I had an opportunity once to uh, take a job in Japan. Like, how would that have changed my life? Moving away from my now wife for that long, would that affected our relationship? Would we be where we're at right now? Would I have the same kids that I have right now? Probably not, right. you know? So so I can't say that I would regret anything that I've ever done, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much in the same boat as you. And I, when I look back at my past, I mean, I could get really heavy with this question because there's a lot of, you know, unfortunately, there are deaths of people who are close to me in my life. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I really don't want to get into that. But I would think I'm, I'm just going to even say, like, you know, when I look back at myself, like in my 20s, like or as a teenager in my 20s or how foolish I was with money, you know, and mm-hmm. 
I look back, man, if I thought, well, if I started a savings at that point or if I'd done this at this point or whatever, but then who knows if I hadn't learned from my mistakes then, would I even know that now, you know, like the formation of who you are now is just a cumulative effect of the things you've done in the past, both good and bad, you know, so maybe I wouldn't understand the value of money. You know, I think a lot about like, I don't want to go too far off on a tangent, but I think a lot about like political stuff that like my parents tried to teach me when I was a kid, but it didn't stick because you can't explain those kinds of things to a young kid, even a teenager, you know, like (laughs) I didn't know, like I remember, I think about this a lot. My dad tried to tell me why communism was bad one time. He told me like, oh, you like to play basketball, but in a communist country, they wouldn't let you play basketball, which may be true, but that doesn't explain communism in any way. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So thinking about that, like there's nothing you can do to change your younger self. I don't know. I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but I think you can't learn things until you can fully form thoughts about things and have this like lived experience of of your past mm-hmm. and everything and as you learn new things you're adding on to things you already know i'm not a freaking genius and i'm not self-actualized or anything but like you i very much appreciate where i am now like i said at the top of this show like looking at all of human history before me <laughs> like yeah. i think i have it pretty freaking good <laughs> versus 99.9% of the human beings who have lived on this planet before me. So even in my own personal life, I can look back at some very, very bad things that have happened to me and my wife and my family or whatever. And I think like, man, if I could have done one thing different, it might have just screwed something else up or really hurt somebody else or who knows, you know? And that's really the tragedy of Oxenfree is that it doesn't matter. And I think that's the whole point. Like, even if you could change something, you would just screw something else up and you'd still be stuck. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I'm totally with you, man. It's our experiences that make us who we are. I don't do this anymore. I don't talk politics with people. But, you know, the next time you're thinking about someone and, you're in that argument with someone about their politics and the way they feel, just remember they didn't grow up the same way as you did and that everyone is different because of the experiences that they've lived through their lives and events that have happened to them. It makes people who they are and shapes the way people think. Yeah, I'm learning that more and more, man. And, And with my personal interactions with people, and I'm not very good at it yet, but I really try to empathize Mm -hmm. way more than I ever have. And it it might not even be something political or something the way somebody was brought up. Maybe they just are having a bad day, you know? A lot of times if somebody's giving you grief, it's just because they got stuck in traffic on the way to work or something. And it's sometimes it can be very hard to empathize with people because we get our back up when somebody gives us a hard time. But if you just try to think, well, somebody peed in his Cheerios, I better just back off for a couple <laughs> minutes. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, it doesn't necessarily make them a bad person just because they have a different outlook or point of view or, like you said, having a bad day, right? Right. Wow, getting deep in the oxen-free <laughs> conversation. Wow. Wow. So, man, I had to pose this question as well. What's with the title? What do you make of the title? Why? call it that so there's a reference to it somewhere in the game 
And man, I knew you had this question and I wanted to look it up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's part of one of the radio transmissions where the ghosts are talking to you early in the game. Do you know the answer or you just kind of threw it out there? No, I mean, I have some guesses as far as why. Kind of the glaring answer, what we think about when we hear Oxenfree is a child's game, right? Ollie, Ollie, Oxenfree. You've heard that phrase before. I mean, obviously that's where Oxenfree comes from in some way. You know, I did a little bit of research about that and kind of the history where that comes from. And it's kind of a mishmash of hide and seek, which there's a game called Kick the Can. And what that was, was it was like hide and seek, like we typically played as kids, but there would be a can out. And if the person seeking saw you, then you would go to like timeout or jail or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. But if one of the people that was hiding could somehow run and kick the can, they would yell, Ali, Ali, Oxenfree, which means that everyone who's still out there hiding can now come out and be seen by the person seeking them and then run to the base or wherever they're supposed to go. So they could no longer be frozen if they were seen. So I guess for me, the meaning of it is these things can now be seen. This hole's kind of been opened up where these beans can now be seen. In essence, the can's been kicked, right? Yep. These things have come out of their hiding now to seek these bodies to take over with these kids that are on this island. And so that's kind of where I, I see it. Um you know, Oxenfree is a kid's game, and these characters in this game are sort of entering into adulthood, going from being kids to, you know, maturity of being adults. So there's that sort of, I guess, that sort of feeling of inability to go into adulthood willingly, sort of like Salinger's Catcher in the Rye. So I don't know, man. There's all kinds of things. I can't really say why they named it this, but obviously the term Oxenfree that's the memory that I have of that as a child's game. So, uh, you know, I can only interpret it that way. I haven't done any reading on it. I don't know, but uh, that's kind of my assumption. Well, I got to say, you explained it as well as the Reddit thread that I just looked up. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. So I got to <laughs> shout out the person who started this thread because it's hilarious. He says, he or she, whoever it is, says, what does the title of this game have to do with anything? I freed exactly zero oxen. <laughs> 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 but then, you know, everybody starts commenting and they basically said exactly what you said. You know, it's part of the game of hide and seek. It has its origins in German, which translates to everyone is free now. So basically, like you were saying, everybody's let out, you know. So that was really good. I'm glad we could tie that one up, too. I I don't like leaving these things out in the open because I feel like, not that we said something wrong, but sometimes I feel like I could have elaborated a little more or explained something a little bit better there and... I'm not going to let those things go anymore. 2018, we're going to fact check ourselves. 2018, <laughs> it's the new year. <laughs> and I got to say, I freed zero oxen as well. Yeah, no, no trophies for the, for the, <laughs> for the oxen.
so look, I, I think we can uh, give our final impressions of this game. And Rich, when we started playing this game, I was playing it for the second time and I just text you like, it just dawned on me at a certain point. I love this game. I really, really love this game. And I was on the fence. If we weren't playing such an in-depth game for February, I would have played Oxenfree a third time. I wanted to get oh, started wow. on Vandal Hearts. Otherwise, I would have just played Oxenfree again. I like it that much. I think the relaxing gameplay, the walking and talking mechanic, I'm right there with these guys, what they set out to do. I love it. Voice acting, I love it. All the characters are very endearing to me. Love Alex as a player character, really can relate to her. And just, like I said, that kick in the gut of that Twilight zone just that haunting, horrifying ending when you realize she's in a freaking time loop. She's stuck forever. <laughs> like this, damn. Like, so almost without a doubt, we'll be playing this game again at some point, third and fourth and fifth time. Like, I just love, love, love this game. Can't recommend it enough. To anybody listening, if you haven't played it and you listen to this already, you got everything spoiled, but go play it anyway. <laughs> if you've already played it, go play it again. Love this game. Yeah, I was uh, really on the fence before um, this podcast as far as, am I going to play this game again before we podcast? And, you know, I went and looked at the trophies and I was like, oh, what other trophies can I unlock? I could do this and that. And, you know, I can save Michael this time. And honestly, I just sort of, allotted to say I'm just going to watch a video and watch the Michael ending which which I do like and I think it's really neat and it's a great concept but I'm kind of with you in the fact that I really like the ending where you don't save Michael and I, I really love that moment where that glitch happens and you know the voice changes you know into that creepy like drawn out and slowed down tone and you find out that you're in this loop I don't know. I feel like this is a game that like you can play one time and be content with, or you can play it multiple times, like you said, and, and really get more enjoyment out of it. I didn't really feel the need to play it a second time. I didn't feel the need when it came down to it, even though it's a short game, to um, make that effort and set aside that time to play it again before we podcast it. I felt like I got everything I wanted out of this game, even though it was you know kind of only a one-sitting game. I think it's a great story. I think it really makes you reflect on life and maybe some of the choices that you've made. And, you know, like you and I said, I mean, there probably are some things that I could change or I might like to change. But all in all, would it be worth doing that because of, you know, where I'm at right now? And for me and I think for you, the answer is no. And uh, yeah, it's um, it's a really, really powerful message in such a short short game and I think the developers really really pulled that off well I, I don't know if that was their intention to pull off that meaning but uh hey that's what I got from the game and it sounds like probably you did too yeah definitely you know this discussion is really nice because it pulls out a lot of my thoughts that I probably hadn't formed just by even playing the game twice really going in deep into my own thoughts so I really appreciate having this kind of conversation and I should also throw out there that like whatever night school does in the future, especially like this game after party is slated to come out in 2019. So I hope it does. And I can't wait to play it. I can't wait to see more of it. 
even though they're they're going with more of a comedy angle like they wrote this game so well that why not like they're obviously very talented people so uh, i can't wait to see what they do next so speaking of what's next rich tell us a little bit about our game that we're playing in february oh man i prepared zero notes for this (laughs) it's You know what? Since I'm already playing it, it's a little easier to talk about, right? We're playing Vandal Hearts for the PS1. This is an RPG where I'm not going to use the word hidden gem, (laughs) but it definitely has a cult following. This is one that I had never heard of until about a year ago, and I've probably had the game less than eight months. But when we came up on February and we're like, oh, what's a good theme for February? I was like, how about Vandal Hearts? Kind of fits with the month of February, the month of love. But let me just say, there's no love in this game as you plunge your sword into someone and blood spews. (laughs) It is awesome. Gosh, that is the best thing when it happened for the first time. I lost my mind. But I'm not going to spoil it. I know we can't really talk about this game. we got to save something to talk about next month. But, man, if you love some blood spray, please play this game with us. It's a really neat tactical RPG Sean and I have played a little of it so far, and the story is really captivating and interesting. And it's one of those games similar to Shining Force where you build your party and you bring in more party members. And um, I think that's always fun. So, yeah, it's a really cool tactical RPG where, you know, you're using environments and things like that to your advantage and sometimes to your disadvantage. And, uh, yeah, come check it out with us. A lot of fun. That's going to wrap up our discussion of Oxenfree and our first show of 2018. Thanks for listening and for participating in the playthrough. In February, we're taking you back to the mid-1990s as Rich leads the charge into the tactical role-playing cult classic Vandal Hearts, available on the Sony PlayStation, or if your Japanese is up to snuff, the Sega Saturn. Hit us up on social media or log on to rfgeneration.com to join the discussion. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next month on the Playcast.
Bless me. <laughs>